As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is episode 242 of Aloha Mora for March 31st, 2018. Katie Carty Hiley. I'm Michael Harley. And listeners, we have some very special guests today for this very special show. First, I would like to introduce to you uh, our first guest here is from the old Broadway. He has been in such shows as the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, uh, Aladdin, which he won a Tony for, and he is currently in the run of Hamilton and my personal favorite, he does the voice of Lance Strongbow on Tangled the Series, which I love so much. <laughs> so it's like I'm talking to him right now. It is James Monroe Eigelhart, everybody. James, thank you so much for joining us. Please, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. This is so exciting. James, tell us a little bit about your history with Harry Potter. Do, if you have, uh, if you know your Hogwarts house, how you got into it. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, let's see. Uh, I was on tour with a show in 1998 called Showboat. And um, I was walking around a town. I can't remember which town it was. And I went through a bookstore. They don't have those anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Walden's Books. And I went, cause they were in every mall. And I saw this display for this new book with this kid flying on a broom, catching some weird uh, little orb with wings. And I said, Hey, what is this? And the person said, Oh, this is the new Harry Potter book. And I said, Oh, what is it called? Harry Potter, the Sorcerer's Stone. It just came out. I don't know. We, we have to sell it. So I bought it, not thinking anything of it, put it in my bag and literally did not touch it for like two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. All of a sudden, then I got back home and I was, it was a slow year and I started working at my other favorite place that no longer exists, Borders Books. Oh. They said, Hey, are you staying for the Harry Potter midnight, uh, you know, book rally? I said, what is that? She's like, Harry Potter, you don't know what that is? 
I was like, nah, I don't. And they were selling, they were about to start selling the prisoner of Azkaban. And um, I said, great, cool, I'll stay for them. I mean, I said, I couldn't stay for them, and I think I had a rehearsal that night for something small. But I said, oh, I remember that picture. I think I have that book. So that night I picked up the book, and oh, my God, I felt so stupid. I was like, I have wasted all these years of my life not reading this thing. <laughs> and so I get to my, my then-girlfriend's best friend's house, and her mom has all the tape, has all the audiobooks read by Jim Dale. I am a huge fan of Jim Dale because Jim Dale was also the professor in Peace Dragon. He was also in a real obscure Disney film called Hot Lead and Cold Feet. And so I picked up the books and literally listened to them until I got to the last one. Wow. The last one that she had was, I believe, uh, Order of the Phoenix. And then the last two books I read just as books. I bought them all, but I love listening to Jim Dale read them. And so I've been a Harry Potter fan uh, all the way through. I've been to um, Wizarding World of Harry Potter, had tons of wonderful arguments with all kinds of Harry Potter fans. I have seven <laughs> wands, four different hats, 5,000 different wow. shirts. Um, I just really, really love it. Uh, once I got onto, you know, I took every BuzzFeed test of what house you were in, you know. And then I went to Pottermore, the real one. And uh, I, uh, I was in, my first time I took the test was Gryffindor. Which I thought, oh, cool, you know, Gryffindor, nice, man. I'm a part of the, you know, the brave, you know. And then somehow my, I forgot my information on Pottermore and did it again, made a second page, and uh, took a test to get it. Ended up in Hufflepuff. Oh wow! <laughs> so you're a Gryffindor. Yes, and I was like, how did that happen? And then the great thing is, um, I am on Thunderbird in the American House, which is really cool. So me too. Yes. When I, especially, I was on the set of this Netflix series that's coming out next, uh, the end of this year. And, um, because I was in my, uh, my trailer most of the time, I spent so much time on Pottermore. It was a little ridiculous. <laughs> I was so happy to read all about the, you know, the American school. And I just got into it. My wife was like, you're spending way too much time on that doggone website. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, what are you doing today? Did you do anything, did you do anything important? I was like, yeah, I was on Pottermore. She was like, for eight hours. I was like, well, if you put it like that, that sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> but back when the moments were there, you could spend hours on those and just yeah. staring at them. Oh my gosh, you really, you really can. You really can. It's like a whole nother book, basically. Wow. That's fantastic. I also have seven wands. Oh, Goodness I'm so jealous goodness. right now. Oh my God. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh. Thank you. I'm just, I don't even know how to follow that up. What I will say is you must be really excited that you're, you're about to have Harry Potter as a neighbor uh, over there. Fun thing. Um, when I was in Aladdin, we found out Harry Potter was literally across the street. Uh, Basically, if you go to 42nd Street, I've now called it Magical Street because Aladdin's on one side uh, and uh, Harry Potter is on the other. I am in Hamilton, so I am three streets over, but oh. it doesn't matter. I am still going to walk over there just to watch everything get put up. <laughs> <laughs> How exciting. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, well, we are so glad that you were able to take time out of your busy Broadway schedule to come chat Harry Potter with us, James. This oh, please. The minute, the minute it came that it was, it was possible, I was like, oh, yeah, I have to do this. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us. And we've also got one of our listener guests uh, here with us today, Kulsum Vigrami. Kulsum, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. I know, I believe you are actually on the um, Alohomora main site. Uh, I think you might have a username there, right? I do. I don't know if I've used it. <laughs> What's your username there? I think it's like it unscrews the other way. 
I think. Oh, yeah, I've seen you there. Yeah. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> I remember that one. And Kulsum, tell us a little bit about yourself, your Hogwarts house, how you got into Harry Potter. I got into Harry Potter when I was in 2008, um, when I was 10. I had spent the last, like, four or five years going, like, on the English covers um, on the, of the first book. Mm-hmm. There's the front of the steam engine, right? Yeah. Um, and I thought that looked like some sort of steampunk um, machine thing. And I I just didn't look appealing to me. I was like, that's a boy book. So I didn't, <laughs> so I didn't pick it up. And then the, I can't remember the catalyst. I can't remember why I decided to, but I spent like two months when I was 10 reading the whole thing. Um, I, I like, I used, we had like one afternoon every two weeks while, when we were allowed into the school library and I would go in and I got the three last books all at once and came back to my classroom with this giant stack in front of me, um, (laughs) to, to just read them all at once. So, um, I, I don't know. I just, I've loved them ever since I, I used to spend a lot of time with my cousins, just like testing each other on trivia. And then when I discovered the internet, that was a magical <laughs> yes, yes as, as we've talked about on the show, Harry Potter, as as it rose, also kind of rose right alongside the internet. Um, so that it was definitely a, a world of possibilities that were opening up um, at that time. Yeah, it's also not often that we get a guest who was the right age to start reading them when all of them were available. Yeah. Like, so, most yeah. of us had to wait at least for a couple, but they were all out by the time you started reading. That's super cool. Which made some things, like, I knew that Romani was Endgame. Um, <laughs> I, knew, I knew that um, I had, like, the image of the um, actors in my head when I read them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there was, those things were... I kind of wish that I'd been reading them along as they came out just because of those things. But other than that, yeah, it's kind of nice to just read them all in one go. <laughs> Definitely. I can imagine. <laughs> and Kulsum, what, what is your Hogwarts house? Ah, so I was Hufflepuff the first oh. time I took the test. And then when Pottermore updated, I took it again and I got Ravenclaw. And I think Ravenclaw sort of fits me better. Nice. Excellently. Well, that's that's the wonderful thing about the Sorting Hat. It gives you that option. So, fantastic. Well, we are so glad that you are both joining us today for this very special episode, uh, and a very big episode, because this week we are talking about Harry Potter. What's <laughs> that you say, listeners? We always talk about Harry Potter. <laughs> no, no. We are talking about Harry Potter, the character, the not Harry Potter, the series, which is something we're going to have to be careful about as we go through this, because I'm sure with Harry being the core of everything, there will be many opportunities to branch off into multiple directions. Um, but we do want to focus on uh, the boy who lived for this episode. This uh, uh, this topic was suggested by uh, quite a few of you in our topic submission page off of the main site. Nicole Schmalstieg, Ashley Mullins, Andrew Hill. And Brianna. Brianna, you didn't give us your last name, so it was just Brianna. Um, but the four of you specifically put in for Harry. Uh, like we said, we wanted to examine the trio, and Hermione got the most votes. Harry was second, and poor Ron got zero votes, so we just chose him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, thank you guys so much for submitting Harry as a topic because we've touched on him a lot throughout our reread and we wanted to finally give him his own episode proper. Absolutely. And this particular episode is sponsored by Yale Roger Levy. I hope I said your name right. I apologize <laughs> if I did not over on Patreon. Uh, so we wanted to give a huge shout out to you. Um, Yale, I think. Oh, gosh. Yes, Yale. I'm, I'm so sorry if I'm saying Yale, it wrong. Yale, we think. Oh, well, we'll pretend it's Yale. So, yes, thank you so much. Um, and you listeners can become a sponsor for as little as $1 a month. Rewards include access to our private Facebook group, Dumbledore's Office, at the $2 level, where fans can chat with each other and the Alohomora hosts about whatevs. It's so much fun. Uh, you can also, there are other levels where you can get a special decal. You can get private readings with Michael. Uh, you can get your name read off as a sponsor, just like we did today. Um, there's also vintage Alohomora t-shirts, private Skype chats, all kinds of cool stuff. So you should definitely check us out at patreon.com slash alohomora to find out more listeners who have uh gone in for the 15 dollars level to have a reading from me you will be getting contacted very soon i apologize that that has been delayed uh my new schedule at work has affected that as well as being horribly ill um you don't want to hear me read harry potter with post nasal drip so uh <laughs> i will be getting in touch with you guys soon uh, and i'm looking forward to reading with you and before we get into main discussion, we're going to do a little bit of shout-out Maxima for episode 238, um, which was actually about uh, Hermione. That was the big Hermione episode. And we had a lot of great comments. I'm, I'm thrilled to say, listeners, that you all have found your way back to the main site, and our comments are picking up again, so we've been really excited to see that. Um, but I wanted to read out just a few comments that were that contributed to the discussion. We had a chain from our friend Aurelia for over at Speak Beastie, traveling in a blue box. Mars is bright tonight. Pennyfold Quavle. Um, and that time Remus Wadawasi Voldi for their chain on Hermione's approach to SPEW. I thought this was a brilliant comment. Um, one of the comments in that chain said, this is an important issue within activism here in the U.S. right now, particularly in terms of black equality and feminism. It's the idea that in order for someone who comes from a position of privilege to be an effective ally to these causes, the first step is to listen to the actual people whose rights are being violated and then give them the space for their voices to be heard and let their wishes be the guiding light within the movement for equality. It has been a recurring problem with activism where people have felt silenced by the very people who claim to be helping them. I read this in the doc and I was like, yes! Yeah. Yeah, wasn't this, wasn't this just great? I love that this can... I think this is kind of the point that we were dancing around with the Hermione discussion, but this gets to the heart of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that they pulled out an example from history. Um, so thank you guys for that amazing chain of comments. Uh, we also had... Another chain of comments from how am I going to translate this, Lisa? And again, that time Remus Wadawasi Voldi. Extra points to you, Remus, for participating in multiple conversations at once. Um, they had a chain on the challenges of Hermione's character. And they, in one of their comments in that chain was, 
I prefer female characters who might not be brilliant or get the best grades, but who are flawed and realistic and have their own stories. It's not a problem that she's Harry's friend, of course. The problem is that out of the trio, she gets the least development. She's excluded from scenes like the Mirror of Erised, for example, which could have given us a greater insight into her psyche. Her, her biggest fear is bad grades, as far as we know. Her whole development as a character consists in going from goody-two-shoes to breaking rules sometimes. This is much less than we get with Ron and Harry. That's a really good point. It's a product of her not being in the same dorm with them, I think, maybe? Mm-hmm. I was actually, yeah, that's exactly what I think it is. And um, an issue of Harry and Ron from a boy's perspective and so much more that I think they relate to. And I think that does come from living in a dorm together, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, Kulsum, versus Hermione, who is separated from them a lot. That said, I still think Hermione gets pretty great character development. What I like in that way about Hermione is that she is very much the kind of person who does learn things, but she she doesn't just break the rules once and she's suddenly like, oh, I'm going to break the rules forever now. (laughs) Like she, she doesn't, she doesn't completely abandon that part of her. She's very nuanced and it's difficult to, when you're trying to package her, it's difficult to package her. Yes. Yeah. But... Then we get a comment here from Griffin Puff Girl, who is very, uh, first of all, first time commenter, uh, Griffin Puff Girl, and, uh, was very hesitant to say this comment. And I'm so glad you did, Griffin Puff Girl. And Katie shouted out to her over on the main site too. Um, but for their chain of, there was a chain of comments, um, from her about how Hermione isn't her favorite character. And she said, I do like her enough, but I never connected on a deeper level with her and certainly didn't identify with her. I do understand her character and I like that she does have flaws, but sometimes she frustrates me so much. Like you said in the episode, even Dumbledore counted on what I see as a bit of close-mindedness to slow Harry down with horcruxes. I guess it might be personal bias at parts when I know she's wrong, no matter how many times I read it. But it frustrates me all the same. Yeah, I was just happy that somebody had the had the cojones to come in and give a separate opinion because the entire episode was Hermione Love, which is great, but we have people of all opinions in this fandom, and I I don't want anyone to ever be scared to say something that's different from what we're saying um, or that the popular opinion might po- might potentially be. Um, your opinions are absolutely valid all the time. Please share them with us because nine times out of ten, somebody else is thinking the same thing. They just might not quite be brave enough to say it. Um, and it brings nuance to have bad things about these people. Oh, yeah. It makes them too one-dimensional if we only talk about how wonderful they are. We need we need to bring out the flaws. I wonder if some of that hesitancy doesn't come from a mix of the fact that Hermione is such a beloved and admired female character mm-hmm. who has been so loved and admired by female readers and is put on that kind of pedestal of, wow, we finally got a really, really good girl character who exemplifies different traits than a character like this normally would in a fantasy like this. That's true. Yeah. Makes people hesitant to say anything to damage that. Yeah. And I think that like that, like taking Hermione down a peg, looking at what flaws she has does not take away from her being an influential female character. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're, careful about it and mindful of it in your discussion they can be two separate things yeah um 
it's very much the idea that we can we can it's actually better to criti- cri- critique what you love. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we're all about here on the Lord Add of layers. <laughs> yes, and and thoughtfulness, and yes, and, and um, yeah. While we definitely love a lot of things about Hermione, um, there's much to examine about her development and. And even as, and I think we mentioned it in that episode, but that her closed mindedness actually is something that is relied upon um, by Dumbledore to mess Harry up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's good and bad about all of our characters, which, listeners, we will go on today with our discussion about the Harry Potter, the boy who lived. So, a few facts about Harry. Y'all probably know these, but just to review. (laughs) (laughs) His full name is Harry James Potter. He was born on July 31st of 1980. His Hogwarts house is Gryffindor. His wand is 11 inches, holly and phoenix feather, and supple. Nice and supple, as Ollivander would say. His (laughs) His Patronus is a stag. And his professions after he graduated from Hogwarts, he was an Auror from 1998 to 2007. He was head of the Auror department from 2007 to 2020, which hasn't happened yet. And he transferred to head of the magical uh, Department of Magical Law Enforcement um, in 2020. And we do not know beyond that what his profession was, uh, because that all hasn't quite happened yet. He is his family. He has quite an extended family, but he is married to Ginny Weasley, who is now Ginny Potter, and they have three children, James Sirius, Albus Severus, and Lily Luna. So that's Harry Potter. Thank you, Michael, for telling us everything we already know. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a little tidbit that you may not know. It's possible. It's from an interview with Joe, so not everyone has read or listened to those. Um, This is back from the year 2000 when a fan asked her, where did you get the name for Harry Potter? And she said, Harry has always been a favorite boy's name. So if my daughter had been a son, he would have been Harry Rowling. Uh, then I would have had to choose a different name for Harry in the books because it would have been too cruel to name him after my own son. Uh, Potter was the surname of a family who used to live near me when I was seven years old, and I always liked the name, so I borrowed it. So there you go. No deep. We don't have to do like a name etymology on Harry. We know exactly (laughs) where that came from. Nothing deeper than she just liked the names. But there you go. Well, it's interesting because Harry does come from a uh, wizarding family, but he doesn't have a terribly unusual... Like, I've, I've always felt that Harry's name lands right between that sweet spot of, like, uh, relatably ordinary, and yet kind of it in, it has something intriguing about it. Yeah. And it's, and it's sound. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's I think got it's a nice the- sound to it. Yes, it does. It's Harry Potter. It sounds even better when you say it with the British Harry accent. Potter. Harry, that's there. You go. Thank you. It's <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. Well, and uh, I think I, I know a lot of people had kind of pre- uh, kind of uh, get, hypothesized that Harry might have been in relation to Harry Houdini. Um, ah, famous, who hypothesized know. that? Uh, that was a that was a pretty popular just reference that people would make actually back in the earlier days of Harry Potter before we kind of knew this about uh, where Rowling got the name from. Potter actually refers really to if you if you kind of look at the root of it is more of an occupational name and it's kind of what you think it is. It's somebody who makes uh, things that are like pots or things that you can store things in or or drink out of. Um, I saw an amazing piece of fan art of Harry with a kiln. What? <laughs> I think I've seen that. <laughs> Is that on one of your tw- 2000 t-shirts, James? <laughs> it was like Pinterest and I was like, oh, I have a Harry Potter stuff page. I was like, oh, I'll just put that over. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But uh, yeah, theoretically, Harry should be uh, good with crafts. Um, I don't know. I don't, he's never gotten the opportunity at Hogwarts. That's the problem. They don't have arts His and crafts there. has been a little busy, Michael. Give him <laughs> a break. <laughs> but uh, I'm just, pretty. I'm pretty sure he took up, you know, uh, some form of ceramics just to like chill his mind out once the whole battle was over. He's like, I need something to do, you know. <laughs> I like it. Headcanon accepted. That could be pleasantly therapeutic for him. I like, like that. It, that's Absolutely. those are the missing scenes in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. <laughs> They could have had like a no, scene like picturing from... that scene in the movie Ghost. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up because all I kept thinking was the only ghost I could think that could actually like join in with him would be Moaning Myrtle. And that'd be so. Oh awesome. no! How <laughs> oh, good you went there. I love it. <laughs> but start, start, like, you think, this... oh my love. No! <laughs> <laughs> We need to think of more. We need to get more opportunities for James to sing in this episode. Yeah, we do. (laughs) (laughs) But to kind of start this discussion with Harry, first of all, listeners, a big shout out to all of you, because uh, I put out the call on Twitter for you guys to kind of put in for what you'd like to discuss about Harry. And as usual, you answered the call brilliantly. And so I kind of broke it up into a few different um, main subjects here. And the first one with Harry that I want to talk about a little bit are his personality and traits. And uh, our first question we got was from Andrew Hill on Twitter at DCUO21955, who said, Do you think if Harry was written the same way but without being the chosen one, do you think he would be a good hero? What do you guys think? I, I discussed this with my sister beforehand and she was like trying to clarify this means that 
if Voldemort still went after him <clears throat> and the whole th- all the other events still happened because if he wasn't the chosen one the entire series is null mm. I guess this would only apply if Voldemort had chosen Neville instead of Harry that's actually what I was going to say which would still make Harry a good hero because by the time we realize well by the time we think about all the things that Neville did Neville was a fantastic hero yeah he was wonderful he not only was he a great leader but he he was a wonderful hero to look up to of what you do in um in the face of adversity. So I think if if Harry was not the quote unquote chosen one, I think he'd still be uh, a hero. I think the problem that people see with Harry is you're watching him grow up from 11 to 17. So sometimes around the middle, around like 15 to 16, he does get kind of teenagey whiny, but then we all were like that. So we mm-hmm. can't judge him on that because he was, 15 and 16. And he had a lot of good reasons for being that way. He's very much so. Yes. Yes. We didn't all have a dark lord in our head while we were whining at 15 and 16. (laughs) Even though, you know, it's a metaphor for puberty, so I guess we kind of did. I also also think it's kind of funny that most people don't realize that every every book that we we read about this wonderful character, there was a secret about him that he just didn't know. I mean, the brother never had a year at Hogwarts where something didn't come out. He was like, really? It's like, really? Like, every yep. year he was like, really? Like, it just never, there was never a year he just got to, like, kick it, chill, win the Quidditch Cup, and then go away. There was always some big, <laughs> big secret from his family. And, like, and always there was somebody at the castle that knew, that could have told him, like, look, right before you get here, just letting you know, you have a godfather that's in jail. Just let you know. No, it was never that. It was always, it was literally always like he got to school thinking everything was going to be cool. And then like, you know, a bludger would come at him and there's this like little wonderful gremlin like character that's trying to kill him. But you know, it's always weird. <laughs> you know, I love that, you, got, you got to give him some credit. I, yeah. That's that actually, cause that's not really one theme that we talked when we did our listeners, we had a whole episode on kind of themes within Harry Potter. And that actually makes me think, it makes me realize that one, a major theme in Harry Potter is actually protection and the idea that Harry was, uh, I think, often shielded and protected by the adults around him mistakenly in a lot of ways. Um, kind of what you're speaking to, James, that he wasn't told things that he probably should have been told. But like, yes, your godfather's in jail. He may come to kill you one day, but I promise we'll keep you protected. Well, like, to be that's... fair, Arthur Weasley <laughs> did try and uh, tell him at the beginning there. Yes. Too. Arthur and Molly treated Harry like a normal kid everybody mm-hmm. else treated him like the protected chosen one and we don't and also a lot of people they loved him so much they kind of saw him i'm not this is terrible to say they loved him so much they saw him as kind of like a protective puppy whereas the mm-hmm. weasleys treated him like a teenager <laughs> that's yes. a really good point i think that's absolutely true which it, it's uh, in turn very uh lovely that harry himself has a natural inclination to protect um which i think definitely speaks to yes if he hadn't been the chosen one absolutely he would have been a great hero or even just a great person isn't there like a um a quote somewhere in there where he says this was all like voldemort's fault these families being teared apart and I, Mm -hmm. i think that sort of his realization there was that regardless of whether his own family his own parents were involved in this he would have been angry about the whole deal and he would have 
he would have been the hero. He would have tried to stop it. See, this is why so many generations Potter and after, post-Potter, have cited Harry Potter as so inspiring uh, for activism. Because, as of course, as we're seeing here in the U.S., there's some um, amazing activism going on with uh, teenagers right yeah. now. Um, in the wake of the Stoneman Douglas shooting in Florida. And uh, I am I, always endlessly impressed by teenagers. Uh, I work with teenagers at the library that I work at. And I, I, they, I actually asked them about what they would like the library to assist them with in terms of social justice movements. And they actually immediately were like, can we do a program where we make protest signs and i was like ah this is why i love teenagers <laughs> like everybody underestimates you guys and you always have the best ideas you guys are the ones who want to stand up and speak up and i think harry potter was one of the series that showed teens that they can do that um and really actually make a difference in that way and that harry is an excellent example of that which this this kind of discussion actually leads perfectly into another point we had from another Twitter user, follower, Seeker Finder, at Seeker, not Finder, to be clear. Thank you, Seeker, not Finder. Um, which was, why is Harry immediately so determined to be a good guy? Is it an innate goodness? Personal grudges against bad guys like the Dursleys, Draco, and Voldemort? Early experiences with his parents? Something about his capacity for love what pushes harry what's his driving motivation guys i i have a, i have a, a theory that when you are told you are nothing for the first 10 years of your life or even the first 20 years of your life mm. you have this you either go two ways you either accept it and believe it and let it just bog you down for the rest of your life and you just become nothing or you have this need to prove that you are something, prove that you are better than, prove that you can be something special, something of worth. I think Harry had this moment. They, they say it even in, in the book when the sorting hat is put on his head. You have this urge to prove yourself. And I think that's always been in his spirit. He always had this need to prove that he could be. And I think the, there's, he has just a good heart. He was born with a good heart. So he would, no matter what happened in his life, he always had to be on the good side, but he always had to go above and beyond just to prove that he could, not to show everybody else for his own sake, because he was afraid. Every other kid that we see is born a wizard and they know they're a wizard. When Harry mm -hmm. finds out, he's like, oh my God, I have to prove I'm a good wizard. I have to prove I'm a good wizard. And that just kind of leads him in these different directions. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I think he's, He's not determined to be good. He's a good guy with this need to prove that he is. Oh my That's God, a... you made me really emotional right then. I just <laughs> want to tell you. I mean, wow. that's a speech I would expect from somebody who's been in Aladdin, which is basically the same oh my... point. Uh, you know what? What's really funny is that we, we've had many uh, discussions about the difference between Harry and Aladdin, where um, mm. Harry was born with powers and Aladdin was gifted the genie. So, and then if you, if you're a big fan of Aladdin and you go into the Aladdin TV series where Genie's always with him. So he yeah. still just has those powers with him. They just might not be completely infinite powers, but they're semi infinite powers. <laughs> That's true. But, and yet at the same time, they're both pulled out as individuals who are unique. The diamond in the rough, the, the chosen one, definitely marked for greatness without perhaps necessarily wanting to be marked for do you think that if harry had 
no had been growing up in a magical house from the outset. Do you think that would have affected his need to prove himself at all? I think so. I do. I think when you, it, it's like it's like that. <laughs> this is really crazy. Let's just imagine that magic is like having money. When <laughs> you're born into a family with money, you it doesn't bother you that other people have money. So you don't see no reason. You see no reason to prove yourself around those people because you all had it. But if you're a person without money and you meet people with money, you you have to prove that you know what you're doing with it as well. When they ask a question, you have to try to answer it, too. Or if you don't, you stay quiet until you figure out the answer. Then you answer it. You try to give the best, most intelligent answer about this subject that you can. I think if Harry would have been born into a magical family, I think he would have been a little more resting on his heels than being on his on his on his tiptoes ready for action. That's the exact yeah. difference between Ron and Harry, though. That's that's what they see in each other. Harry doesn't like think about the fact that he has money, and Ron doesn't think about the fact that he knows things about the Wizarding World. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, th- I think it's so funny. Like when um when the word when the uh, parcel tongue thing happens, you know, Ron looks at him like, "Don't you know what that is?" And Harry's like, "No, I have no idea. Isn't it cool?" <laughs> <laughs> These are things that Ron just knows, and Harry's like, "What? I speak a different language. Is that smooth?" You know, they they just. <laughs> You know, so I think it is the difference between the two of them, which is why they make such good friends. They are the yin and yang. They help each other out. Oh, I love mm. them. <laughs> and you see how Harry's father, James, turned out as a kid. You know, he was a little bit of a jerk. Let's be honest, when he was a teenager. Oh, my fa- one of my favorite subjects is talking about James Potter. James Potter grew up to be a good man, but it took a good woman to help him. Mm-hmm. Because literally James Potter was that jock who is that guy in high school that we all if Harry if James Potter was in real life he'd be that jock that everybody hated and all the nerds James would be James Potter was doodling his crush's name on his work and all of his friends were discussing how um, great they did on their exams they were all dorks <laughs> Lucy, his his friends would be the people who created the iPhone and Android. <laughs> he'd be the guy. He'd be the guy in the commercial. Like, yes. He'd be the he'd be the Quidditch champion. Going, I use an iPhone because he couldn't create it. But, I mean, he he became that guy. But that we would have not liked him if we all went to school with him. Right. Yeah. But he just came from such a completely different background. <laughs> effortlessly cool and effortlessly intelligent without even trying. Right. Mm-hmm. Which makes you want to throw mud at him. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that, but asking the question too, of if would he have, you know, been this person necessarily if he had been raised by James and Lily? I, I, I think you're totally right, uh, James. That there, there's uh, Harry wouldn't necessarily have as much concern about certain things if they didn't affect him personally, which they wouldn't at that point. But. I think James and Lily have been cited by pretty much multiple people to be really excellent individuals and would have, I think, raised Harry to be somebody to be proud of. Um, I, I, I do believe that. I, I think, like I said, James, sometimes when someone you, it needs to be you need a person to put reality in front of you. And Lily mm-hmm. was that person. Lily put. Nobody told James he was a jerk. His boys were with him. You kicked it. And then Snape told you he was a jerk. But, you know, who's Snape? He's a nerd. We whoop his behind. Whatever. (laughs) But when a beautiful woman walks up to you and goes, you know what? I don't care how good you are, how cute you are. You're a jerk. And you go, oh, snap. I might might be a jerk. (laughs) 
<laughs> and we know that James' parents had trouble conceiving him, so I wonder if they kind of he was spoiled like, as hell. He, he yeah, was, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly the the vibe I get. Um, so he wasn't getting that at home. They weren't teach. I mean, not to say they were bad people and weren't parenting him, but I think they let him get away with a little too much. Oh, you you could tell because when he got to school, nobody said anything about him. Also, it seemed like like every high school. What I love about Hogwarts is. Although the magic is there, take the magic out. And it's just like every other school. He was the seeker of the school. So everybody treated the quarterback. He was the chaser. He was the chaser. Chaser, sorry. Everybody treated him like gold. Everybody yeah, treated him yeah. like gold. You I mean, you're, you're the star of the Quidditch team. So come on. Was he captain? Yeah. Uh, I think we're taking it away from Harry a little here. but <laughs> Yes. Well, and I was going to say, though, the, the, the perfect thing, though, that, 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 brings up is the seeker finders point about is Harry motivated by personal grudges? Because as we talked about, uh, James obviously had a very strong grudge against Snape and as seeker finders, uh, cited the Dursleys, Draco, Voldemort, there are individuals that Harry doesn't treat very well or doesn't like very well. And honestly, I always think it's fine. Now the thing is, I think Harry has every right to not be very happy with these particular individuals that were just cited. Um, to be fair, he does not follow Michelle Obama's mantra of when they go low, we go high (laughs) all the time. (laughs) And I think Draco is probably the person who he's the worst at that with. Um, but again, it's, it's really hard for me because I, people tend to, to lay on book six as a main example of that. But the thing is, Harry kind of following and pursuing Draco through book six is really the funny thing is he's not wrong the entire time. He was right on. Totally justified because Draco's doing everything he said. The funny thing about it is he's not wrong, but it is, he's not wrong in his, in what, in his perception of, of, of Draco, but he is wrong in his, all up in Draco's business when he does not have to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, his 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 pursuit technique is not very strong. I feel like after maybe like the fourth book, his opinion of Draco went from he's my arch nemesis, I hate him, to just get out of my way. I don't care about you at all. Um and then when the reason why in the sixth book he had to care about him was because he was certain that he was, you know, a death eater. Mm-hmm. Involved in something bigger. Yeah. So and also I, when when you're when you're that connected to what's going on, uh, there's the teenager in you that's just nosy, and then there's the hero in you that goes, "I feel something is wrong. I have to fix it." Mm-hmm. There's that weird moment of being a teenager while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, Harry is extremely nosy. Yeah. Uh, that I think my my favorite moment of that that definitely solidifies that is in Sorcerer's Stone, and it's when he makes a promise to himself after what happens with getting rid of Norbert and losing so many points that he's not going to get involved with anything, and then he immediately is tested because he hears Quirrell talking <laughs> to Voldemort, <laughs> and he he of course immediately goes and listens in, um, and he even says to himself just like, "Oh, this is a test." Um, and he fails spectacularly and goes running to Ron and Hermione and is like, oh my god, there's intrigue at the school, we must do something. But here's the problem, even though you said you wouldn't, 
wouldn't you listen? I mean, you're like, wait, you're doing what? Oh, I have to hear this. It's not a Harry thing. It's a person thing. Everyone would do it. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, everyone would have done it. Yes. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't, especially in the setting of a magical school where the stakes are even higher and more exciting? Right? And also, this is the first book. Like, he's never seen anything or heard anything like this. He's doing his best to just, he's just ingesting everything that's around him. Taking it as awesome. it comes. Yes. But... And that, again, leads into another great uh, point that we had from Ali Frega, or at A Frags on Twitter, who wanted us to talk a little bit about Harry's saving people thing and his need and want to always go it alone. Because once he does sense danger, he is always just like, all right, I've got a plan. It's not a good one, but I'm just going to do it. And no, nobody can come with me because you're all going to die. I'm going to die too, but I'm such a martyr. Um, kind of, that's kind of his approach. And where does, where does that, where does that come from? Why is it, why is he so insistent upon it? Really pretty much all up, all the way up through probably the two thirds of Deathly Hallows. Where does that come from? And why does he insist, why is he insistent on going it alone? He's never had anyone he, you know, loves and trusts and wants to keep safe until he gets until the books start and i there must be something in him that's like i don't want to lose these people and i don't want them hurt and if i can do something and put myself in their way then i will yeah gryffindor total <laughs> to the core I, there's also and this is gonna say, and i hope this doesn't sound too too sexist so forgive me um, I remember when I was deciding to ask my wife to marry me. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I realized the person that I was and I had doubts about myself. And I had these big dreams of going off to doing something that most people don't do. I was going to go off and try to be an actor. And, you know, people always tell you, oh, my God, a million people try and only like five people make it. What makes you think you're going to do it? And so when you decide to do that and then all of a sudden someone wants to come with you, you're afraid because it's OK if you fail. But for you to bring somebody with you 
Mm-hmm. That means not only do you fail, but you have now drugged this person down with you down this failing tunnel. Mm-hmm. And my mm-hmm. wife told me, she said, do you think I am not smart enough to make my own decision? Do you think I don't know what this is? I have chosen to go on this journey with you and I want to be with you. I'm not going to be behind you. I'm going to be right alongside you. Is your wife Ginny? (laughs) But she's, I will say this, but my wife is very, her and Ginny are very similar. (laughs) Very true. And when I read the books, I started laughing. I was like, my wife, she didn't even know about Harry Potter. If I told her about it, I was like, she's very similar to Ginny. But yes, um, I think with Harry, there was this moment where he's like, I don't mind doing it myself. Because if I fail, well, you know, that's one kid and no one's really going to care about one kid. But to take everybody down, Ron, Hermione, um, the rest of the DA, they've all chosen to go on this journey with him. And Ginny has chosen. She was like, look, I know you're marked for death. I know you're the chosen one, or, you know, as a joke. But I, I want to go with you on this. You're not telling me. No one tells Ginny what to do. She <laughs> makes her own decisions. I think that's his thing. It's not that he's, you know, wants to be the big martyr. I think it's just like he's afraid of getting everybody else jacked up it takes him until deathly hallows to realize that everyone else isn't doing it for him they're doing it because Mm. there's a war on exactly it takes him quite a while to get to that point um and this goes along with him wanting you know well wanting to be and just being a good guy like we were just talking about but there was also nobody around to save him from trauma as a child and i think that increased his compassion towards others so that they wouldn't experience the same thing um, and part of his go-it-alone tendencies could also be rooted in his isolated childhood. Because when you can't depend on anyone else, you learn to depend on yourself. And it's a difficult transition from such independence to being able to and even wanting to rely on others. Like, I had that issue when I got married. Um, I was very independent before I met my husband. And then all of a sudden, I was in this relationship where we we're both very equal and it was, yeah, it took a while. I was just like, I don't know how to do this. I mean, I'd had relationships before, but it was just, it was different. Um, so I think that has a lot to do with it. And then, like you guys said, when people started dying, when Voldemort returned, he took all of that personally and blamed himself. And he thought going it alone would protect those people that he cared about. True. And then, but then you realize as a, as a good leader, it's horrible to say this, but you and what my my <laughs> my uh, my my other favorite superhero, uh, Batman. He realizes you can't do it alone. You need a team. Harry mm. needs to learn to delegate. Yeah, he needs to learn to delegate. Yeah. And it took him a minute. I mean, usually Hermione's the one that had to say, "Look, dude, I'll delegate. You lead. You lead. We'll figure out the plan." <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I think because the, the interesting thing is there's a there's simultaneously Harry's eagerness to to jump in and do something and be the the person who does that. And simultaneously, there is this constant questioning of, why does this have to be me? I just want to have a normal day. And that, I think those two sometimes run in conflict with each other, especially, obviously, in book five, um, where I I think he's kind of reached his peak of frustration with that. Um, Because it's, I think he's, because he's just been able to so successfully internalize a lot of the trauma he's gone through. Um, and I think, Katie, that comes a lot from what you said of his isolated childhood, that he kind of just had to learn to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but once something as extreme as Cedric's death occurs, um, where it's just so senseless and so hurtful. And then he's isolated for weeks after that. Yes. yes. And yes. And, and 
isolated and not and and note and and i think that's the other difficult thing too is because that's the point where he's had four years of being able to experience friendship um and connection with other people i think he's like remind you know um when the hermione and ron aren't allowed to tell him um anything Mm -hmm. there's there's probably a part of him that goes back to when he never got any letters back in the first Aww. book and he <laughs> you know I he never doesn't put that together yeah he's just there's no information coming to him he's completely in the dark no one wants to tell him anything and he's like i'm not 11 anymore i'm not yeah i've been through enough that i should be kept in the loop yep. and again they're trying to they're trying to protect him because they also know what a hothead he is and he might yes. do something Yes, they kind of know in a way that Harry is somewhat a danger to himself because he is so eager. But I mean, to he doesn't actually do anything. He he spends his time in the flower bushes, listening and <laughs> listening to Muggle news. Well, it is funny uh, because I, mean, I think he does nothing only because he can't do anything. Yeah, that's true. But the great thing, what I love about it, is when you can't do something, you end up doing the most outlandish things. So he just spends his time in the bushes listening to the news. <laughs> well, and it's a, it, I think it's a great depiction of a, of the life of a teenager in that sense, because when he does do something big, which is saving Dudley from the Dementors, everybody immediately is, kind of goes to, Oh, Harry, you broke the law. And cause you, you just couldn't help yourself. Could you? He's just like, no, I was doing the thing that all of you should have been doing. <laughs> like it, it's, it, it's that kind of, that assumption that a teenager is acting out. Um, there's also that there's also something some funny to me about that particular situation. Mm-hmm. Just that one. Everything else Harry does, I think, is like out of you know a hero ship and wanting to make everybody great. And don't get me wrong, he does. He is in mortal peril. He is fearful of the Dementors. But there is that moment. You know that person when you see them, you're like, oh my god, that one family member. I hate you, but. I can't let you spend time talking to this other boring family member. I wouldn't let you talk to because even that would be cruel. When he sees the moment to save his cousin, he's like, oh, God, of course I got to save you because if I don't, I got to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a little bit of him like, oh, yes, of course. It's amazing. I got to save Dudley. Do you think that that summer where he's left in the dark is like um, brings forward the same things that we were talking about earlier, where he has to rely on himself again for an entire like two months? So he sort of regresses so that he doesn't trust people as much after that point again. Yeah, I think I so, because he was waiting to hear something and nobody, he had just gone through this craziness. Cedric died, everything, and no one is telling him anything. So he's like, oh, I'm back on my own again. So he went, he reverts back. Yeah, he's having the nightmares and everything. Poor it's guy. actually, it is a perfect point in the series for that to happen because it's mirrored in the the characters. You would think logically by book six that the characters would trust everything harry says because he's always right but Mm -hmm. book five is the one time he is wrong um and that he pushes so strong for something that's wrong and somebody dies because of it um so i think that like it's it's really well timed on rowling's part because you can't go through this whole series with harry just being right literally all the time and then the character's constantly questioning whether he's right um because he's always right so it is it's perfect timing on both ends for harry to lose his faith in relying on others and for others to rely on Harry to guide them in the right direction. Uh, it's, it's really 
perfect setup for for half blood prince in that way. This is all leading perfectly, and I have to say before we move into this next point because these are all uh, pat on pat on the back for myself for putting these in the exact order that you guys are going <laughs> to talk about them in. Um, but also, I have to. I love that every time James gives like a speech here, he is summarizing a play he's been in because the one about bringing somebody with you. Um, and kind of fail, failing as you bring them along. That's Memphis. You were also in Memphis. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> I, 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 seem to, I seem to be doing all these shows where like these themes keep reoccurring. But that's why Harry Potter's timeless. Yes. No, absolutely. It is. Think, it's very true. I think oh, that's God, a yes. big, I think, and I mean, that's what relates so well too with kind of James you being part of such a big part of the Disney family now because Disney and Harry Potter have lots of crossover in their morality. Oh, huge, huge crossover. I mean, that, that's a whole, that's actually, that's a whole different podcast. Well, yep. We're going to have to have you on for a Disney that's, Harry that's Potter a whole crossover. Different, oh yeah, God. I mean, there are so many crossovers in, in the hero, you know, we think we've all heard about, there's something called the hero's tale that mm -hmm. goes, whether it's from Aladdin to star Wars or even Lord of the Rings to Harry Potter. But there are certain writers who were able to take the hero's tale and turn it on its ear to where it just hits an entire generation or even more. And and J.K. Rowling did that with Harry Potter. It's the hero's tale, but it's the way she told it that touches so many people. And it's, you know, Disney does that well as well. But I mean, she, wow, she, you talk about knocking out of the park. It's just brilliant the way she put it together. It's the idea that there are no original stories, but they can be retold. In, yes, in, it all depends yeah. on the writer. In original ways, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But with the, what we were kind of discussing here about his saving people thing and what that might come from, I think that goes perfectly into a point from Gifted with Magic, Tricks, and Elixirs, our at oleo9 on Twitter, who said, how, who wanted to talk about how Harry handles his trauma, how it affects himself and others around him, and perhaps touch on his PTSD and how that shapes his character through the series which really to be fair we could probably do a whole episode just on this yeah um, but but yeah let's let's touch on that a little bit which trauma <laughs> good that's point the problem isn't it he I, had I literally mean, seven yeah <laughs> yeah and actually eight actually true. actually eight traumas if you count them the one kiss with cho chang and then what to do after <laughs> <laughs> well i think uh, like if you if you bundle them based on the books, I think kind of what we were talking about before, one through four, Harry does have the ability to kind of internalize these traumas or rationalize these traumas or have somebody who can explain them to him, usually Dumbledore. Yeah. But by five, by taking that those things away in five, you have a big issue because Harry is, he has nobody, like we said, he has nobody to talk to. He has no way to really vent out his feelings. And uh, then that it's, it's, and again, it's, I th I do think that is a, a brilliant piece of writing on Rowling's part to do this really intense metaphor for puberty. And this idea that there is another voice in your head that is telling you to do things that you don't want to do, or that you don't understand why you feel the way you do. Um, for, and then transitioning into six uh, and seven with taking that trauma and putting learning how to learning how to react to that trauma um, and make decisions make better informed decisions as you go through your journey. Um, so I kind of bundle it as one through four, five, six and seven, I guess. 
Yeah, I think I do the same thing. If I were to, if I were, if I were to categorize it that way. Um, but what do you guys think? I mean, the obvious, the like, the stuff that is almost recognizable is his nightmares, um, and mm. the points where they start recurring, like after Cedric dies and stuff like that. That's almost a very obvious marker of where he is with his trauma. Um, yeah. But then I think it it shows through when and where he trusts people. No, that, I think that's a great point because because we haven't talked about the dreams yet, and Harry has very vivid dreams that uh, even before his connection to Voldemort is cemented in Goblet of, at the end of Goblet of Fire, he has dreams that are relevant to the series. Some of them are um, wild, though. Like in the first yeah. book, there's mm-hmm. this person called, I think, Bloody Hell Harry, on, and they've illustrated the dreams. They're really weird. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, that's cool. Oh, man, I need to see those. My favorite dream is still um, uh, book five, when... He sees Cho in the room of requirement and she she says something like, Cedric got me a million wizard cards! And then she just throws them all in the air. That's my favorite visual. (laughs) That's my favorite. But My favorite dream, and I know it's really, really early, but just because of the reaction of the person he says it to, he says, I had a really weird dream and there was a person on a motorcycle and it flew and just watching, Mm. you know... Watching uncle, watching his uncle like. There's no such thing as a flying motorbike. Yeah, fly. Uh, <laughs> it's just hysterical because you know it's just a kid telling a story, and you're reacting like this boy just cussed at you. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> so, and that that kind of is a trauma. That kind of is a trauma. It's like you can't even have little children dreams without somebody yelling at you. Yeah. That goes actually it stretches a little bit actually into themes we're finding out now through Fantastic Beasts, and the a lot of people have asked would. Could Harry, under the Dursley's continued care, have become an obscurus um, like Ariana or like Credence um, because his magic was being suppressed? Um, and uh, th- th- this kind of goes back too, to to d- d- what the point you made, James, earlier about characters uh, who are given the choice to either surrender to what people tell them or to be to rise above it because we see characters within Harry Potter who do surrender to the things that people tell them that are incorrect. We just recently talked about uh Marobe Gaunt on the show and how she is I think a prime example of that. Mm. Um but do you guys think that if Harry what do you think kept Harry above becoming an obscurus? I think it was that the Dursleys never pretended to have Harry's best interests at heart. Um, he was very he was very aware that um, he didn't need their approval and he didn't need to take in what they were saying because mm. they were just full of farts or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he, he he I feel like if they if he had internalized what they told him, then he probably would have bad things would have happened. He would have been a lot more messed up than he was, but they did him a favor by being very overtly terrible and not gaslighting him about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, yeah, I never... think the funny thing is I would never give the Dursleys um, a good parenting award. Never. <laughs> but no. I, I would say the one thing that they did do is <laughs> they, they still treat him like a kid. So he was still able to insult Dudley back, even though he might've got it you know, for it, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the whole thing of like, you know, the whole joke about dipping your head into the toilet first, you know, 
to and like Dudley being too stupid to get it and him running away. Like he still got to be somewhat of a kid and learn how to insult and learn how to run faster or learn how to get away from his bullies. He wasn't like treated like you're not there. You know what I mean? He was he was treated badly. But he at least existed. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting because as as Harry gets more involved in in magic at Hogwarts, he is more gradually treated like he's not there. Harry, I think, n- n- notes they treat like, him worse once they once he knows who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's that there's yeah. that two months after he first sees Hagrid where he's still at home, and they just take to ignoring him being there at all. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, right. And, and he, then he, said, he even says that's even worse. It, like at least yeah. before. They, you know, acknowledge my presence. Now they don't, they act like I'm not even here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Tough, tough. So I think that's one of the reasons why he didn't like flip out because to him, these things just happened. Things mm-hmm. just always, he's that kid, like it's just Murphy's Law. Question. Why do you think the Dursleys gave him like a penny or a used tissue or Dursley socks for his birthday? Why not just not give him anything at all? Well, because it's, uh, to be honest, um, I think. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about who I'm talking about because it's a it's a family member. Um, but <laughs> uh, when you're you to when you're trying to be how, oh this is a Harry Potter podcast so I won't say anything terrible when you're trying to be a butt <laughs> you deliberate you deliberately do things that are butt like okay. like if you really did if you really didn't care about somebody or you really don't want them to feel something you don't do anything but if you want them to feel something negative you do something negative yeah it's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and you don't the person gives you bad service you don't have to give them a tip but instead you give them 50 cents you want them to know that you're mad yep so the dursleys didn't have to give him anything and harry would have been fine with that but they decided to give him dudley socks because they were just butts yeah <laughs> which of course is one of the things that made harry go oh you guys are just butts fine i'm definitely not gonna do what you guys say do yeah. you know what i mean yeah. still was like a, still let him be kid like because he had the kid imagination like yeah i wish a truck would run in here and run you guys over but there's still <laughs> a relationship and as long as you have a relationship there's a connection there if you do nothing there is no connection whatsoever and then i think the obscurus would have probably sprouted and something bad would have happened yeah i think i think that there's there's an element of the dursleys perhaps realizing that oh yeah he's coming back this summer and we still have to like if we if we keep like you said james keep a modicum of some kind of uh kind of modicum of control or a reminder of this is how it is when you come home (laughs) um that's, I mean, again, you that's just, you so just perfectly horrible. summarized something you're a part of. That's, that's Mother Gothel entangled. <laughs> Seriously, it's like, like, here's this gift for you. It's terrible, but I got you something. Yeah, but I got you something. Aren't I a great mom? <laughs> I have to say thank you for this. Thank you for this. <laughs> You know what I mean? I've always yeah. wondered if Hedwig flew and like pecked them until they gave him something. <laughs> mm. That could be it too. Like we, Dumbledore said, you must give him something every year, and he, that's just okay. If we had to give him something, it's gonna be crap, but we'll give him something. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, but I think it's worth talking too, since we've touched a lot on the Dursleys and their trauma. Also, talking too about the trauma that Harry suffers after Book Four, because I think that's the the major one, um, yeah. and how he deals with that. And we've touched on it a little bit. I think the major issue, as we pointed out, is that Harry doesn't have anybody to 
connect with afterwards or to relate to in a way does that what do you guys think more about kind of what he becomes in book five because of course that's that's something that a lot of the fandom has still talks about to this day and i think a lot of the root of that as i've cited in a previous episode is the potter puppet pals with harry banging his head against the wall going (laughs) angst 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 it's like everybody took that at the time to be a hilarious summation of harry's behavior in book five and i think for a lot of us reading it at the time who were in our teens i think that made it additionally difficult to read think about it for a second you are 14 years old you're coming to school as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You just found out that you have... Okay. You're coming to school and you found out that finally you have a, a family member that cares about you. They're serious black. And not only does he care about you, but he also happens to be one of the coolest dudes you've ever met in your entire life. You come to school for your fifth year. You're excited just to not be the center of attention. There's the goblet of fire. Everything is going to be cool. You, Hermione, and Ron get to sit back and watch everybody just do stuff. And then your name is thrown in. Oh, God. (laughs) Now, your best friend doesn't believe you. The girl you like likes the guy you have to compete against, who you know right now is a better wizard than you. So you've got that. And you're only only 15 years old. I mean, you're only 14 years old. You were 14. Still trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Then at the end of this year... That same guy who the girl you like, that girl likes him, he dies in front of you, not, not and, and because of you. So you're 14. This guy dies. The girl you like likes him and everybody thinks you're crazy. Then you get back there and only one person. Remember, he was tortured before he got before back. He, he was tortured. Yes. He was tortured before he got back. And then he brings the body back. And, you know, I mean, and then so when 15 for for everybody to go angst, angst, angst. When you're 15, we're not even done with the trauma because then he tries to tell it. <laughs> he tries to tell, um, uh, what's his face, Junior, that, you know, this trusted teacher who he's like, oh, crouch, oh yeah. he wants, he wants me to be an aura and he's so amazing and I respect him so much. He tries to tell him what happened. 
only to immediately find out that he's freaking been yeah death eater <laughs> that's trying to kill him <laughs> uh, right you know that you know all of a sudden that's barty Crouch jr you're like so let me get this straight this whole year has been a freaking lie <laughs> right, right. Whole year. i can't trust anyone <laughs> and here's the great yeah. thing here's the great thing there's something nobody even ever talks about think about this for a second <laughs> he's 14 so that means and and barty Crouch put his name in the goblet of fire that means technically part of harry thought you know what i might have been special enough for my name to be put in there. Then you find out, nope, you're not even special enough for that. Somebody did it mm-hmm. on purpose. This has nothing to do with you. It's all about trying to kill you. And you're like, oh, so you mean after all that, I didn't even actually get my name because I'm so special? No, nope, dude, this had nothing to do with you. My bad. So, I mean, it, it's just horrible, horrible, horrible. It's piling onto him, piling and piling and piling, and then he's isolated for two months. Yes. And then when he gets back, everybody's going, oh, Harry, why are you so angsty? Why am I so angsty? <laughs> Tell me why I should not be. <laughs> Tell me why I should not be upset. You know, and, you yeah. know. So it's that whole, and then that whole five book, he's like, try. And then you get to school. Nobody believes you. The Voldemort's back, and that's when they bring in the substitute teacher from hell. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and everybody's going, "Oh man, Harry's so angsty, man." You're like, he's like, no. Can this get any worse? Well, and it yeah. is it is like a, a, a hearing a full year of somebody telling you when they go low, we go high, and Harry's just like, "No!" He's like, <laughs> "I'm not going." As a matter of fact, he, the fact that Harry didn't like just curse people as he walked down the halls just shows <laughs> how good of a heart he has. Yeah, mm-hmm. he could have shown out a lot more. Seriously, so I mean, you're right. There's so there was so much trauma that happened to him. And on top of that, he's 15. So how do you deal with your 15-year-old? He did it in the healthiest way possible. He yelled. He didn't curse. He didn't Mm -hmm. curse. He didn't fight. He yelled. He let it out. I mean, until Mm -hmm. he, like, destroyed Dumbledore's office. But that's at the end. That's fine. And to be fair, Dumbledore gave him full permission to do it. Because Dumbledore recognized that was something he needed. Yes. And he (laughs) Yeah, he kind of deserved it. (laughs) Yes. And that he totally deserved it. Yeah. No. And, well, and people... A lot of the fandom kind of feels confused by this because that's an excellent summation. And then you get to book six, and we've talked about this in these chapters that where this comes up specifically, but we get to book six, and Sirius has died at the end of the year, and Dumbledore basically gives Harry a pep talk in a broom cupboard, and Harry's just like, okay. And he's fine. And he functions pretty well throughout book six. But I have a theory that he's sort of on... He's delaying how he feels about this sort of stuff until... Because he's very aware that from the sixth book on, there's a war on, there's terrible things happening, and he's going to be in the centre of it. So Mm. I reckon that all of the deaths that end up happening after this point is just put to the back deal with later because i can't deal with it right now yeah i think i think one of the things that one of the the fun parts about number six is that harry has now come to terms with it Mm. there's again it's that moment he's got a couple moments in his life where he has to make a decision i can let this destroy me or i can i have got to move forward and he Mm -hmm. i think he thinks back to his mom thinks back to his dad thinks back to Sirius. He's got to move forward. Mm-hmm. He cannot mm-hmm. let this beat him down. And then once he finds out the prophecy, he's like, oh, well, um, I really don't have a choice here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I Excellent. really don't have a choice. So I think that's why he kind of chills out and says, you know what? Let me focus on the battle at hand. 
and that's why he has to, you know, I think that's what happens to him. I don't think he like trips out. I think he basically just gets zen about it and goes, this is what I have to do. No, I think that's the perfect thing to cite is that it's the prophecy that changes a lot, this preordained thing that, and, and then kind of having a perhaps simplistic understanding of the prophecy and by the end of book six, having a more nuanced understanding of it. I think what I'd like to jump to at this point, actually, because this was actually touched on a little bit before. And uh, I think this is something, speaking of not giving Harry enough credit, um, we've got a comment from a longtime listener, Davey B. Jones, 999, who asked about, and a lot of you actually listeners wanted us to talk about this. Um, but David said, Harry often gets a lot of flack for being pretty dense and not all that smart. And I feel that this is a somewhat unfair assessment. I think the problem isn't that he's not smart or unintelligent. It's just that he isn't well motivated. And also he's a teenager. His intelligence isn't in his book smarts, but it is in his intuition and deductive skills. And I thought it was so perfect that you mentioned earlier, James, Batman, because that's why Batman is why DC is called DC Comics. It was called, exactly Detective it's, Comics. It's detective, yes, exactly. And oh. Batman has has a his his real true ability that a lot of adaptations forget now is that he is intuitive and he's deductive. Huh. Um, he's he's and and Harry, I think, does have a lot of that. I do think that is something we underestimate about him. What do you guys think? Um. Uh, just because you mentioned, you know, my other favorite character, Batman. Um, <laughs> I think one of the things that makes uh, Harry, Harry is not book smart. Harry's not book smart. They leave that to Hermione. Mm-hmm. Hermione is book smart. So Hermione, if you're going, <laughs> if you're going to put this in Batman terms, Hermione is Harry Potter's Oracle. So Batgirl mm-hmm. became Oracle and she was always in the computer and she had her hands on every answer there is. The guy in the chair. Yeah, the guy in the chair. So she is the guy in the chair and every hero needs a sidekick who is not as strong, who is not as powerful or, but can do all the things that need to be done. That is Ron. Harry is the hero. He's the guy who goes forward. Hermione would not have gone forward. That's not her skill set. She needed mm-hmm. someone to go into battle. Ron is not going to go into battle unless there's someone there to tell him where to go and what to do. Harry is that guy. Harry is intuitive. Harry, Harry has, um, gut feelings. Harry can feel a situation where Hermione can only read about them. Ron can feel it, but not the way <laughs> Harry can. And we're not even talking about the scar. We're just talking about feeling a situation, feeling the room. No, mm-hmm. Harry wasn't good with talking to girls, but he was also a teenage boy. But as far as everybody else, Harry was pretty good at reading people. Yeah. You know, I mean, un- unless they had a magical, you know, polyjuice potion over them. And he, couldn't, <laughs> he was very good at reading people. I think he's very intelligent. He, he was more street smart. He's the guy you want when you're on the street and there are no rules. You want Harry with you. Yeah. There was a reason why he was so good at the practical side of, um, defense against the dark arts. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, and the funny thing is, I, I, I think that is a great example that Harry and we, we see it too reflected in his grades. Harry isn't bad at school. He's quite good at it, actually. I think there's something to be said for because the moments that Rowling chooses to put on the page, she's not putting every single moment that Harry is doing schoolwork 
or focusing on spells and and classes. She's she's she gets she gets quite a bit more of that obviously than the movies do. Um but the the points that she shows for that tend to be for comedic effect or as a transition. You know, Harry read all his books before he um turned yes. up. When- and he he says that the he says when Snape's being horrible <laughs> <laughs> he says that how can you expect me to remember this? But he did read it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and yeah, also he- the funny thing is if if someone presents you with something you are either smart enough to give it away or not give it away. I know there's a big argument of Harry was wrong for using the Half-Blood Prince's book. But if someone gives you a book and the answers are there and it's you can work your way around it, that was pretty intelligent. Both mm-hmm. Hermione and everybody else sort of going, mm-hmm. this book has writing in it. Harry was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I am finally going to pass potions with a good grade. You got mm-hmm. the teacher's edition. <laughs> yeah, that was smart. You know, I'm sorry. That was that was pretty bright. That was pretty brilliant. Yep. People people also seem to think that Harry's not smart because he didn't figure out the plot of the book immediately. Like, <laughs> you know, the the big mystery, how can in hindsight it's really easy to go, how did you not know that from the beginning? But obviously well, it's the same thing of asking a person, asking a, you know, a person, how come you didn't know that girl was crazy? We were like, well, you know, while I was in the relationship, I had no idea she was crazy. It was when I got out and I realized, oh, my God, she's freaking nuts. Yep. <laughs> yeah, when you're in when the you're middle. in the situation, you mm-hmm. don't see it. Yep. Yeah. Can't see the forest for the trees. Right. And this is Harry Potter. One of my favorite lines in the movie when he goes, I'm not a wizard. I'm just I'm just Harry. Mm-hmm. That's how he saw himself up until book six. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I am the chosen one. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> and also, there was a 16-year-old moment. When he when he embraced it, he was like, "There's the adult in him that goes, I'm the chosen one.' Is that is that the movies or the books? Well, I think in the movies, sure, it's it's verbally said and it's quick and it's more for comedic effect. But I think you're right, James, that in the, in the books, it is internalized by Harry that he he figures that out, and in a in a similar way, he does kind of go, "Oh yeah, I am <laughs> the chosen one," because because book six does deal so much with. How, uh, uh, teenage hormones is kind of the is 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 the parallel that's going on with the big adventure. But you also he was smart enough to realize that the girl for him was a girl who was stronger. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mm-hmm. And smarter than him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When a man, when a, most men realize that the woman you need is smarter than you. He's mm-hmm. intelligent in the way it counts. Yes, he's intelligent, <laughs> yeah. in, he's intelligent in the way it counts. Yeah. In terms yeah. of book smarts, actually, I feel like if he had, if he had been encouraged to, you know, to, oh, good job, Harry, you got 10 out of 10 on your maths test. If he'd been told that when he was a kid, then he would have been excited about you know the the more boring parts of learning the more academic exactly. stuff exactly mm-hmm. yeah and that's and that's the role that and likely the way that Hermione was raised and the role that she 
fulfills. And I think the unfair comparison is that the fandom tends to put Harry next to Hermione in that mm-hmm. way and size him up against her. And Hermione is a s- savant. She is like... She's a whole different... Th- Hermione is literally... If you well, Here's the fun part. And this is just my opinion. If you put Hermione, Ron, and Harry together, you've got Dumbledore. Mm. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> you've got the silly, you've got the silly guy who says, I'd just like to say a few words, libbity ibbity gibbet. Book smart, and you've got the person who can fight in a battle. You put the yeah. three of them together and you've got what Dumbledore is as a grown up. Do you think that when they get older, they sort of, they all become Dumbledore because they all round each other out. I think so. I think I think they round each other out. Hmm. I think there's a little bit, a bit, a little bit of that actually referenced in Cursed Child, um, with how they behave. Um, so that that's definitely f- fallen upon. I was while I was talking, I was texting the other genie who's in London right now. So nice. oh. <laughs> that's so cool. He's about to go on stage. <laughs> Oh, that is so neat. Oh my god. Okay. Your life is wild. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is a little nuts. I, w- I won't lie. I think um, one of my favorite moments was I was at a Tony dinner. This has to do with Harry Potter. <laughs> and um, it was a big day is full of stars. So like everybody's up there. And two of the people there were Denzel Washington and Daniel Radcliffe. <gasps> and everybody had, that's been nominated for anything that year, whether this was not for a Tony dinner, it was just an awards dinner of everybody on Broadway that year. And um, we had to all get up and say, thank you for acknowledging us and then move on. Everybody got up and acknowledged their, their producers, their agents, and everything. And I got up and I said, I want to thank, you know, Disney and Thomas Schumacher and a bunch of other people. And I said, but I want to take this time to say one thing. Daniel Radcliffe, and he looks up from eating. And I say, <laughs> I'd just like to ask you before this is over, please let me get a picture with you because it'll make me be the coolest uncle in the world. And he goes, you got it, mate. And then after <laughs> it was over, oh I walked over to him and there's Daniel Radcliffe standing next to Audra McDonald and a bunch <gasps> of other Broadway people. And he's like, you want to get that picture? And I got a picture with Daniel Radcliffe. So that was, so I used my time to talk to Harry Potter. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you so much. I just like, I vi- I pictured that so vividly. Like, yes. thank you for letting us live vicariously through you. He now. literally <laughs> was on the other side of the room. It was a big stage. He was on the other side and I yelled to him and he looks up and it was so cute because oh. it was like, he's got a mouthful of food. Go, huh? Oh yeah, sure. We can totally do that. I was like, yeah, we're on. Oh my God. If you ever see him again, send him my love. <laughs> I have so much respect for Daniel and how he's handled the fact that he's never going to really get away from Potter. No, but there's, again, there's that moment where you as an actor or you as a person realize something has happened and you can either get all pissed off about it or you can live with it. I left, I have been called the word, I have been called the name Genie for six years. Mm -hmm. Wow. People see me down the street and go, Genie! I mean, the only reason why it doesn't happen in London is because people can't tell me tell the difference between me and Trevor, who plays Genie out there. Oh wow! Trevor's face is plastered all over the tube station I go to. (laughs) And Trevor, Trevor was my understudy before, and I chose not to go to London, and they chose Trevor. And Trevor's amazing, Um, but he gets Genie too wherever he goes, and we're we're we're, we have to live with it, and we're okay with it. I mean, it could be worse. People could not know who the hell we are at all. That's true. true. I mean, yeah. if to be fair, uh, if it helps at all, you're you're Lance Strongbow to me. So thank you very much. <laughs> I, I I take that too. Oh, well, God. to me, you are. I'm trying to remember how to pronounce it. 
Coriolanus Burt? Because I love me some... Coriolanus Burt. That's the one. I love me some Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Because you were on Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, my God. That's so cool. Oh, my God. I still want to see the adult version of Matilda. Let me just say. God. They're making jokes about that. It's so scary. But I would do it if they said it. <laughs> but let's let's jump into because we this is I think a big piece about Harry that's uh worth talking about because it was it's been theorized a lot and we discussed it even on the show with Harry being a horcrux. How do we think we we I think we've broken down Harry quite a bit, but how do we think the horcrux plays into that into Harry's behavior, into Harry's personality, into who Harry is as a person? And you, please feel free to cite specific examples because one of the big theories in the fandom which I do not agree with, is that the Dursleys are only awful people because they were around a horcrux for no, such a long no, time. No, 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 no. <laughs> 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 we are all in agreement. Yes. There's a reason we get to see the whole first chapter from freaking Mr. Dursley's point of view, because he's a terrible person. He enjoys yelling at people. That's his highlight of his day. He, mm. Oh, he's a horrible person. I still don't know, as my roommate Jarrah pointed out, when I told her all of these defenses that our listeners have come up for the Dursleys, she said, do people really want the Dursleys to be good people? Like, <laughs> there's... <laughs> what is the impetus for why the fandom wants to give them an excuse so much? And I, in this sense, no, I do not think Harry being a Horcrux influenced their behavior at all. Because Harry, as a Horcrux, I think it's important to define that... And I think this was made clear, especially through Deathly Hallows... That Harry is a Horcrux, a living being is a Horcrux, is not the same thing as an inanimate object being a Horcrux. And in many ways, Harry is something of a sleeper agent, and that his Horcrux didn't quite activate correctly until a certain time. Yeah. And I, it's, it's a lot like, the best way I can compare it is Battlestar Galactica and all of that business with the Cylons like he's I love you for that I love that makes no sense to me but okay (laughs) it it it's it's the idea that somebody can be somebody and then be triggered into something else and Harry's uh, Harry the the Horcrux in him wakes up I believe in book five so I have you ever seen uh Civil War um, with with uh, Captain America and all that kind yes, of stuff. Yes, yes, yes. Bucky. 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 I, oh, yeah. you don't understand <laughs> that I have a lot of opinions about that. That I could actually, I could. Okay, never mind. You go on. Sorry. <laughs> it's like it's like Bucky. Until they say something, there's a sleeper agent inside him. The brainwashing. Mm-hmm. The brainwashing. Yeah. But here's here's my theory on Harry being a Horcrux, though. I don't think it affects Harry personal his personality. I think it is an ability. I think the Horcrux gave Harry extra powers. The parcel tongue. It did yes. Parcel tongue, his connection to Voldemort, but it didn't make him a better wizard. It didn't make him a better person in duels. I think it's just an extra power. It sits alongside him but not in him. Yes, it <laughs> sits alongside him but not in him. I don't think the Horcrux ever um it awakened when certain things needed to be awakened, like the snake was there. That part awakens because the Horcrux recognized the snake. Or it's you know, really only the parcel tongue and the connection to Voldemort's mind were the only two things that it did. I don't think there was a major uh, connection to his personality whatsoever. Yeah, I would agree. And obviously he has people who love him dearly that are around him all the time, yeah. i.e. Ron and Hermione. So if he were giving off this horrible vibe, nobody would want to be his friend. And that's just not the case. <sighs> yeah. I think, well, and I think the the 
Order of the Phoenix is where that fear comes, where Harry does think, not knowing that it's a Horcrux that's causing this, that it is his personality, that it is him personally. And it takes, I think it takes a lot of learning. It takes Ginny. Yeah, I was going to say, it takes Ginny defining how the diary worked. And in, in what's great about that is without knowing it, she's citing another example of a Horcrux and how it affects a human being. I also think that that part that makes Harry go, nobody likes me, everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat worms. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's also part of that teenage angst of him like, oh my God, something bad happened. Everybody there's hates a... you. It's like, no, actually, man, just talk to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few fan theories, like... um the idea that the reason why the Dementors were so in like focused in on him was because he had two souls in him, or the idea that he, the reason why the hat thought he was in Slytherin, uh, thought he might do well in Slytherin, was because of the Horcrux in him. But I don't, I don't know how I feel about those ideas. I think he had enough pain on his own for the Dementors to go after him, and I think that maybe the Horcrux. I, I, you know what? I don't think the Horcrux has anything to do with the Sorting Hat because if it did, we're going to the Cursed Child then. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Then Albus, if I hope I'm not, this is a spoiler alert. That's fine. You may want to tell people. I don't think Albus would have ended up in Slytherin. No, but the... It's not hereditary. Um, Albus being in Slytherin isn't dependent on Harry having Slytherin in him. Yes, I know. But usually in, you know, with the way the Weasley families work, they knew where to put people. Like if you're, you're connected, there's usually a thing. But I think there's some, I don't, people saying that the, the Horcrux had anything to do with the Slytherin. I think there was just, there may be an ambitious side to the both of them that mm. made the, the, the sorting hat think about Fair. it. Well, and you already said the thirst to prove himself. That's a very Slytherin tree, so I can totally see why it would pick up on that. I think the I think the Sorting Hat thing, the Dementors thing. I think all of those things, in retrospect, are fun things for the reader that Rowling did lay down as a hint in some ways um, to the point to Harry's dual nature. I think it becomes more clear, obviously, in Chamber and Half Blood. Those are the books where it's supposed and Order. I think those are the books where it's that that connection is supposed to shine a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do. I, I also agree that the, generally that the Sorting Hat wasn't reading the Horcrux. It, I think it may have been. I think the Sorting Hat might have been a little confused. Um, but uh, I don't think that was the main thing. Especially again because the the Horcrux was not activated at that point. It's there, but it's not. It's just sleeping. It's not doing anything. Yeah, because Voldemort um, is barely anything at that point. Yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't. It doesn't. It literally. What's funny is it doesn't kick in until the snake shows up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I, 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 I think that 
there's, I think again, that those are, in my opinion, is that there, there, there are things that the fandom has pulled out that I think are meant to be fun Easter eggs on Rowling's part, but that in the end are not supposed to be, and Order of the Phoenix is meant to clarify that, are not supposed to be inherently hairy. Yeah. They are the Horcrux affecting his behavior. On a side note, have you guys ever done a show where you could just talk about how just amazingly intelligent J.K. Rowling is to just like roll crap out to us and us not to get into like books later? <laughs> we sprinkle we, it in here and there that's for sure <laughs> i read the book and i just kind of go oh my god she so got me like it's so, it's yep. so awesome to like <laughs> realize what she did oh yeah we definitely have had those moments throughout our reread and throughout our topic episodes I what think is that... it the cat calls them obligatory genius moments. yes um, obligatory yeah. genius moments yeah <laughs> well and and uh as a kind of a last point with harry's personality uh uh Kulsum, i think you had a really cool uh, point from our one of our lists, our other listeners. Um, Dora Nympha says he can be a frustrating character in that him being a child or a teen limits our perspective of the wizarding world to what he knows, and he doesn't actively try to learn things the way Hermione does. But him being our protagonist and at the same time being a sensitive male character is amazing. He feels aching empathy, pity, love, betrayal, and anger. He stands out from the other characters um, in other fiction that he might be similar to. And that's refreshing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, collapse, Dora Nympha. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love I that. Think that's, I had to I rephrase all of that because she gave that to me in the form of angry parts over like <laughs> eight, eight or nine texts. <laughs> well done to both of you then. <laughs> But yeah, no, I think that, and I think that's something, especially when you, uh, person speaking personally, uh, growing up and moving away from being the age what that I was when I read Order of the Phoenix, uh, I think is the prime one to cite. Um, being able to be reflective of that period of your life and reading Order of the Phoenix, I think for me made it a better book. Um, because I was just like, oh yeah, that's uh, when you're not in the midst of it, when you're in the midst of it and you're reading Harry Potter, it can be very frustrating because it's just, it's not an escape anymore. It's a reflection of your life. Hmm. Um, and even the teens who I work with now have said that Order of the Phoenix is their least favorite because Harry is frustrating in that book for them. Um, so I think that's something that comes with time is that understanding. Yes. That, they will yes. understand when they get older. Yes. <laughs> there are always these parts in the book, so where I'm just like, I love Harry so much. He's such a kind person. And uh-huh. it's like, the only one I can remember right now is him, how he treats Neville. Like, he doesn't particularly have um, the same investment in him um, or the same want to hang out with him the way he does with Ron. But he, whenever Neville doubts himself, he he's dead, so no, you're t- worth 12 of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She didn't say it in as many words, but this speaks to me about um, fighting against toxic masculinity. And we see that a lot in Fantastic Beasts with Newt. Like, that was really, really obvious from the start. I think with Harry, it took, at least me, a little longer to understand that about him. But because he is a bit of the jock, he's still really good at sports and he's popular and all this. Mm-hmm. Um but he also is, like she said, very sensitive, very empathetic to others, um, pities others, looks out for others. And that just makes me love him so much. It doesn't come much. across in terms of words. 
yeah. but it comes across mm-hmm. in terms of his actions. It's also, and forgive me for saying this, it's also written by a woman who is writing what she would like to see in men. Mm-hmm. Where when men write books, we write James Bond. Mm-hmm. We write a character who has dealt with life and he's tough about it. He talks to all the women and he's good at everything and he's the best looking guy in the room and he never has a doubt in his mind. And when he does have a doubt, he just shoots it with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking, we're talking Rambo. We're talking the only other sensitive male characters like that are, are either in Star Wars or in comic books because it's okay to do that. But in mainstream entertainment, men are supposed to be men and Harry is what guys should be you should be male and strong but if you don't have empathy pity love know how to deal with betrayal know how to deal with anger know how to deal with life no one's gonna want to hug you (laughs) i think there's something really lovely about the the main point of the books being love that that being treated as something important Mm -hmm. it's the strongest magic on earth and that's it's true yeah you you when you when you talk to someone and who's frustrating and instead of talking to them being frustrated and it come to them out of love even if they don't get it at the beginning they do get it later if yeah. you come at a person with love they can't they don't know how to fight that they don't know how to deal with that and i love the fact that that's the metaphor for the pretty much the whole book as like the biggest the most powerful magic of all mm-hmm. i think James, what what you said too about Rowling being a woman writing a male character, it, I think speaks a lot to the positivity of what we're seeing. And y- y- you, as somebody who is a part of the arts, is kind of in this uh, kind of getting to see this firsthand, I'm sure, and especially at Disney. But the idea that kind of allowing finally having us allow women and people of color to participate in storytelling now. Um, has changed that perspective from just white men telling stories all the time. It's like what you said, you get this, the result you get is James Bond, usually. Have you guys seen Black Panther? Oh, oh heck God. yeah. Oh, have you God, seen, have you seen that they let the villain cry as well as the main character? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. God, yes. That was, oh, yeah. sorry, I'm just, I'm so excited by the, I, these new <laughs> characters that are coming in who are allowed to be empathetic and be, yeah, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. There is this a, and I will say it's American. There's this American male that has been created that does not exist in life. Mm-hmm. There's this American male, quote unquote, that we've put in every story, uh, every commercial, every every form of entertainment we can, and every guy is trying to live up to it, and it's impossible because these, as long as you have a heart beating. You can't be that person, but everybody tries to. It's like that. It's like that parent who looks at his son and he gets hit in the face with a baseball. That's coming from my life. And someone says, <laughs> uh, "You fall on the ground." They go, "Get up!" You know, you know, you know. Uh, be a man. How you? Mm. But you're ten. You tell a ten-year-old, "Be a man." He can't be a man. He's a ten-year-old no. boy. Nope. So you're trying to live up to this to this uh, this stereotype that doesn't exist in real life. So now all of a yeah. sudden you have all these writers and these performers who are putting these characters of real things that happen. And once you get into reality, that's when the tears for a male happen. That's when a woman is who is women who always have to be strong, even though we're not allowed to, we're not letting them be strong in films until now, where these women always have to fight. They always have to do five different things at the same time. (laughs) You know, these things are finally starting to happen, which is what makes me love, love about Hermione because Hermione does 
50 different things. One of my favorite moments is big, that whole thing of her having the time turner and doing 50,000 things at one time. That's pretty much the metaphor for a life of a woman. All of, all <laughs> of the characters in this are allowed to be contradictory as well. Like Hermione's, Hermione is not, you know, she's allowed to be girly and she's allowed to completely ignore it as well. Mm-hmm. And then with Harry, he's, he is a very empathetic character and he's also allowed to be stubborn and angsty and angry when he needs to be. Sure. And Ron is just a bundle of emotions. <laughs> yes. yeah. Ron. Ron is so he do, he doesn't know where he's going. He is, I can't wait to hear your Ron episode. <laughs> he's, it's coming. He's the second to he's the second to youngest. He's going to deal with everybody. Ginny is smarter than him. I mean, he and his best friend is the chosen one. The girl he likes is his best friend. He he still wonders if Dumbledore knows his name. He's got. <laughs> Literally, the boy. Ron's got the most like relatable normal problems. And the fact, the fact that he's got Harry with his monumental issues right next to him makes people think that Ron's being kind of whiny and being, you know, making a big deal over nothing. But he's but, he's the most to, he's got the most normal issues. To bring it back to Harry, because we've got to do a Ron episode. To bring it back to Harry, <laughs> I just want to say because I think what you guys are pointing out is what's really great about how this affects Harry and how Rowling wrote him is that she also wrote around him, as you guys were mentioning, a lot of supportive peers who are. are uh, uh, layered in their portrayals. But I think that a really important thing too is that Harry has a lot of s- supportive male figures in his life who are also very yeah. sensitive. Um, and not kind of like what you were saying, James. They are not the dad who will say, stop crying, get up. Yeah. Like Dumb- Dumbledore, Lupin, Sirius, a lot of these individuals, Hagrid, Arthur. are individuals who kind of reach out their hands and pat him on the shoulder and say, it's okay. You you should be able to go through what you're feeling right now and then move move forward when you're ready. We do have we do have a character in the book who is the get up. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So, I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And be a man. We have two of them. We have Lucius Malfoy and we have mm-hmm. Professor Snape. Ooh. And Draco because of Lucius. And then Lucius, look at the way Lucius treats Draco. Yeah. yeah, it is the it is the get up and be a man type person. Yeah, and there's and there's Lucius who, deep down inside, he knows that's not right, but that's all he's known. And when it happens to him with Voldemort, then he finally starts to feel, oh my God, I've got to protect my son. Mm-hmm. Because you have to be broken. You have to be broken. You once a once a once one of those real men, I call them quote unquote real men, has a good cry, they begin to rethink everything in their life. And it's funny for those two characters to go through that. Um, but I, that's what makes Harry so, so awesome because he, he has those people around him to let him grow 
to be the man he's supposed to be. Can I make a recommendation? Yeah. There's this uh, video essay by the pop culture detective called The Fantastic Masculinity of Newt Scamander. Oh, yeah, that's a very, that's a very good video. Oh, good. Yes. Perfectly, as you guys kind of said, you just mentioned character growth. So let's go into a little bit in, of Harry's character growth. Um, we're going to... Uh, what's, what's interesting is that a lot of our listeners wanted cited that they feel this and i'm going to kind of summarize what was said by both our listener chloe on through email and uh, spencer fannin a long time uh listener who both kind of felt things that about harry pre-book five and post-book five chloe's was that she feels that harry is dull and nondescript until order of the phoenix and that he is basically an empty avatar for the audience until book five and then that's when, and book five is when he becomes interesting, but simultaneously that tends to be when the fandom starts to dislike him. Spencer feels that Harry has a character shift and that from three to five, he is very proactive and that from five to seven, he sits back and lets others do the work for him. Um, how do we feel about that? Because I think, th th no, I know there's two different things, so make sure you're kind of talking about what you want to, uh, summarizing what you want to address. Uh, because the the funny thing is, Chloe's thing about Harry being nondescript actually makes me think, I don't think Harry fails on that level. Um, I actually think that the only example of any Harry Potter media that he is like that is the video games, because in the Sorcerer's Stone video game, he doesn't talk. He only says spells. He never has any dialogue. Oh, jeez. Um, and... It's it's great because there's literally a point where McGonagall comes up to him in the game and says, Mr. Potter, you've been chosen for the Quidditch tournament. And she just gives him this whole ramble about being on the Quidditch team and then says, your first practice is this afternoon. Bye. And then he doesn't say anything in the game. And I was just like, that is uh, that makes sense to be for Harry to be an avatar because he is a video game avatar for you to control because you are Harry in this situation. But in do how do we and I feel that Harry does even somewhat succumb to that in the first film. He is an avatar for the audience in many ways. But he's the avatar that made me made me fall in love with all of it. Like if you look at him in the books, he's in terms of his actions, he does get led around a bit, and then he starts being proactive when things start happening really fast, like um, mm -hmm. after Quirrell and that whole deal starts happening. But He's really funny and he's really, um, he's got his own opinions. Like when you see him meet Draco in, uh, Madame Malkin's, there's this whole internal dialogue where he's just like, okay, I know who not to hang out with. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> so he is, you know, an he is interesting. It's just, it's not as, um, he doesn't go against the grain as much as he does later on, which is, I think, what Chloe's picking up on. Like he, mm. he tends to do what anyone would do, um, as a normal sane person. Um, and then he goes to all his trauma and then that affects him quite a lot. I think what also people are forgetting is, um, it's not that Harry's an avatar. Harry, we are experiencing everything for the first time with Harry for the first time. Mm -hmm. Harry for the first 10 years of his life has been a muggle and mm -hmm. been told, when to speak, when to do stuff, when to do, when to do, and if he says anything, he gets wrapped in the mouth for it. He lives in a cupboard with spiders. The first time yeah. he's gone out to do anything was when he goes to the zoo with his cousin. Now, with like, uh, uh, that, that same night, 
or that same night he gets a letter that's for himself. And like a couple of weeks later, I think two weeks later, he finds out he's a wizard and he goes to Diagon Alley. He goes to Hogwarts. He goes to, um, uh, why can't I think of the name of the bank? He goes, oh, Green Gods. He goes to Green Gods. He has never been there before. You remember the first time you went to like a Disney amusement park? Your mouth just hung open. <laughs> You're just <laughs> taking it in. And Avatar, while everybody explained everything that happened to you, this is Pirates of the Caribbean. This is, this is this. This is this. You're like, oh! <laughs> you got the first ride and you were like, oh, I have an opinion. Yeah. No, that's so a, I think that's what a... happens is, Harry gets to school and it's just like, oh my God. And then finally, you know, queer will happens. Ah, we need to do something. The second book, he's like, wait, is it second year? That's awesome. So it's something he's an avatar. He's learning. So by the time he gets to number five, he's comfortable. He's 15. He knows where he is. He knows who he is. He knows what he's doing. And that just happens to be the year, the, the year after Cedric died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There was a discussion recently on the main site about a wizard's confidence and how that can affect their magical ability. And it really seems to hold true if you think about all the different characters like Neville, who had zero confidence when he got to school and it showed in his work. And then by the you know sixth year, he's a bad butt. Uh, <laughs> he's great. <laughs> he's fantastic. Um, and Harry... You know, he had a different... On, the, on, that, on that same token, it's the exact opposite for Draco. When Draco got yes. there, he was the most confident person mm. in the world. He could do anything. Draco could not be stopped. When we get to book six, and he's trying to figure out how to get everybody in... He starts failing. When he's in that class uh, with Slughorn and has to make a potion, it's not great. This is Draco. He knows potions. Snape, he was the top grade in, in potions with Snape. He can't figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Because his confidence is so low. Yeah. Well, and I think Malfoy also, as Harry frequently notes, Malfoy has been spoiled to the point where he believes in his abilities more than they are. Yeah. Um, and he has an easy ride in many ways that Harry does not. Um, which change, I mean, it is that, it is that thing where like you had the teacher that totally was playing favorites and then, oh, that teacher's gone. Oopsies. You're on your own now. Now what do you do? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Also, can we just, can we just say one? I just noticed this the, the other day. I was rereading the book. Mm. I love how in, in six, in, um, Slughorn is the, is the, is the, um, teacher of, of potions, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Snape is still Harry's teacher in potions. Yes. Us knowing. Yes. We talked about that actually on our last episode because our last episode was about the kind of the first week of Harry using the book. And I mean, that's a big, that's a big thing that, that goes along with Harry's character in, in six of, of, of his character growth actually is learning is how he, it's, it's one, to me, it's one of the most clever ways of, uh, of an author, uh, pitting the hero alongside the villain. In, in the perceived villain, because Harry, through the Half-Blood Prince's book, learns that Snape is a more layered individual than he thought. And it's be, and, but she could never have done that by having Harry explicitly talk to Snape about it. And so by doing the book, Harry grows in that way where he realizes that people are not just one dimensional even Voldemort which is the same thing he's learning in book six is that Voldemort is not a one-dimensional individual yeah there is a shift there actually in terms of how everyone is treated because if you look at the first book the Dursleys are caricatures of the the most horrible people ever and then 
And then at the end of the, sorry, at the beginning of Deathly Hallows, Harry is sort of started to forgive them, but he's also seeing Dudley in a different light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because Dudley's starting to think that probably hurt. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, this kid who I've treated badly this whole time saved my life. And it hits him. Right. We're cousins. Mm-hmm. We are cousins. We all have cousins we don't talk to. And when we see them at the cookout, <laughs> we talk to them. And then we don't see them anymore. Uh-huh. But they're, well, you guys are blood cousins. You guys are related. There's nothing you can do to fix it. That is just a reality. Mm-hmm. And it's it's fun for, you know, Dudley to get that. But also fun for Harry to realize that. It's like, oh, my God. There's a there's a bumper sticker that used to bug me. I used to sit in California because that's where I'm from. And he used to mm-hmm. say, whenever you think you can walk on water, just look at your family. Mm. It's like, whenever you think you're hot stuff, look at your family. And you're like, ah, right, I'm related to you. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone can relate to that one. Yep. Someone, someone might find out we're cousins, or it doesn't happen. You know what I mean? So I think when Harry, when Harry looks at Dudley this way, he's like, "Right, you're my cousin. Damn, nothing I can do about that. Okay, you're a real person. It wasn't your fault. You know what I mean?" And he finally admits that Harry was not a waste of space. Aww, <laughs> so sweet. Well, and so also the the Avatar thing always tickles me because the same yeah, way people yeah, yeah. talk about Harry. Harry on the boards is the same way people talked about Luke Skywalker from Star Wars mm-hmm. to into the in, he didn't become a person to return to the Jedi. He like he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, it's I I think it's I, I think it's un, a, a, an unfair assessment in many ways because perhaps there's an expectation in series like these of with the Lucky Land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Greatness immediately taking hold. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of funny to me that people expect that so much from their, from their literature, because I don't really like books like that. Mm-mm. I prefer books where the individual is li- like Harry Potter, where the individual is very, um, averse to what's being pushed upon them, but has to learn gradually what, like people who are just immediately great because, that doesn't make for much of an interesting story to me, no. I guess. They're good tertiary um, characters, but not main characters. Not main characters, yeah. You want you want to grow with some you want to grow with a character. Yeah. You want to watch that character become the hero. But you have to do it right. And I and I think over gradually he becomes the hero. Like if you put Harry in in Sorcerer Stone up against Voldemort in seven, he'd get killed. Mm-hmm. But he learned over time what to do, who he was, what he believed in. Mm-hmm. Certain things he kept saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. But when he gets to seven and he has um, the snitch in his hand, it all makes sense. He knows exactly what to do. 
because he's learned over time what the end means or what these things mean. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the impression that he is an avatar or nondescript is actually from, as we mentioned, the fact that he, like you kind of said, James, he's so flabbergasted by this world that he doesn't have much to comment on or say immediately. And I think where the fandom gets that impression is from the movies because the movies, because oh, poor Daniel, he gives such a wooden performance in the first. Yeah, bless bless his heart, and it's not completely his fault because he I think in a, a lot baby. of ways, well, and in a lot of ways, the script lets him down because there is uh, one of the biggest challenges in any movie is to take in an adaptation is to take uh, internalized thoughts and turn them into dialogue, and you, what you don't want to do is use uh, voiceover to do it. Because that is the worst fall failure on a movie's part. Because it's yeah. relying too much on sound when movies are primarily visual. Mm. And so uh, the script, what it does is it just makes Harry a background character to Ron and Hermione. Because Ron and Hermione have clearly defined personalities that work really well on film. And they're explaining everything. <laughs> Harry's personality doesn't really start to drum up until around book three and four. And noticeably in the film... Harry takes a front row seat in three. He's yeah. like the the opening scene is all about him. Isn't she the Daniel Radcliffe only done like maybe a couple commercials before he got Harry Potter? Wasn't he in a movie with Maggie? He was, he in, was in he was David in David Copperfield. Copperfield. Yeah, that that's what I meant. And he's yeah. he's not in it for very long. Um, and <laughs> he's, yeah, he's not the star. So no. here's a right. kid. That, there's, I guess the story was the guy was in theater looks back sees the kid and goes, "Hey, that's the kid. I want him." And so we. <laughs> It's hard to give the whole picture to a kid who hasn't done that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when you have a film like that, you have to surround the kid with great people. Yeah. Um, what's funny is <laughs> what we say about the character of Harry Potter in the film, Keanu Reeves has made a living at that. <laughs> <laughs> every movie, look at every movie Keanu Reeves has ever done. Keanu mm-hmm. Reeves surrounds himself with nothing but Oscar award-winning, Emmy award-winning, Oscar-nominated actors. Keanu was in the center, and he is surrounded by amazing actors who forward the story. And Keanu was just there to beat people up and look at the screen and go, whoa. You know what I mean? <laughs> no one says anything about that. We always go, well, he's a terrible actor, but what a great film. You're like, he's, he's just as wooden as Harry, but at least Harry was like, Yeah, Yeah. he had the excuse. (laughs) When you're introducing this much material and you've got so many people around him that you've also got to like build up as secondary characters, he there's a lot of bouncing off that needs to happen, and the protagonist sometimes doesn't seem to do much because of all that bouncing off. Mm -hmm. Same same thing with look look at look at the first Star Wars. Who are the interesting characters? Obi Wan Kenobi, uh, Leia, Han Solo, Darth Mm -hmm. Vader. Poor Luke, who is the who's the lead. Nothing oh. happens until he blows up the, the Death Star. Yeah, he was a whiny little <laughs> jerk. <laughs> We're going to go out and get power converters. Nothing happens. <laughs> Literally not until the like, Return of the Jedi. You're like, oh, you're a person. Yeah. yeah. I, well, and I think the, the points in the writing where we see Harry's personality come out externally to other characters are things that got cut from the movie because they're more a lot in tune with Rowling's kind of smaller moments of humor um like when you know he makes when he when he jokes about how Malfoy's the reason that he got the broom um you know think things like that jibes like that that show that harry is 
witty and sarcastic, which is something that the fandom loves about him and feels that they don't see a lot in the films, um, I think is because they weren't included in the script because those were minor moments. Um, the major moments that Harry gets are the ones that we are used to just kind of like, yes, we're going to, we're going down the third floor corridor. We're going to go see Fluffy and, you know, I'm going to, I'm never going to join you, Voldemort and all that stuff, you know, the typical. So what we're taking away from this, it's difficult to make a 700 page book into, (laughs) into an hour and a half movie. On that one, Kelso, I I disagree. And here's why. (laughs) Okay. They took a book where all the characters do is walk. For 400,000 pages and made three movies out of them and they called them the Lord of the Ring trilogy. And then they gave us the, the Blu-ray, they gave us the Blu-ray discs with four or five hours of extra crap we didn't need. Are you trying to tell me that you couldn't have done that with those movies and just given us the rest of the stuff on the Blu-ray disc? I am still bothered by Warner Brothers for doing it. I'm like, everybody who read that book went to the movie you could have given us everything we wanted and then just cut it down to two hours and given us the rest of the crap on the extra the dvd you did it for the orcs you could have done it for harry potter oh my god amen hallelujah <laughs> yes i'm <laughs> to so be fair, with you <laughs> we were coming off of an era where that wasn't really like that was just starting to be a thing and unfortunately i i think the studio made a lot of incorrect assumptions about what an audience could stomach at the time. Well, um, they also thought that Harry Potter was a film for kids and Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings was a film for adults. Adults. So yeah. for ki- for kids, they squashed, not realizing these same kids coming to see this film were the same kids that were reading the book. They would have dealt with it. They wanted to see it. Yeah. But that's a whole different podcast. Trust me. I, I know. <laughs> Since we're talking about the films and we, I, clearly we just want to get it out. Let's, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Daniel Radcliffe and about, other media that Harry appears in, the main one, of course, being Cursed Child. Um, I haven't, full disclosure, I haven't read or seen Cursed Child. Oh, goodness, you're spoiler-free completely, huh? Um, I've, I found out stuff, <laughs> um, and you talk about it enough on the podcast that I've podcast. sort of picked up the plot. That's uh-huh. better. <laughs> I, I don't know. I have, I have opinions that are based on um, other people's opinions, so I don't... You should read it. I heard about the trolley witch and it put me off. <laughs> oh, girl. Well, mm-hmm. And we can talk, because the thing is, there's, the, the, I, you know, we have a bit of a limited perspective with Cursed Child, so we'll talk about that just a little bit. Um, but I do want to talk about Daniel Radcliffe because we are uh, mentioning him so much and uh, how he, how he did picking up Harry. That was, that was not a simple task for a kid his age at that time, at the height of Harry Potter mania, to suddenly be cast in this role, mm-hmm. and then like, okay, good luck, your life's gonna change. Have you guys are me, but I, I have, I have to leave, guys. Oh, oh. no, that, we Thank understand. Thank you so much for staying as long as you did. We've had such a blast with I you. I am, I am, I've had the best time talking to all of you. I swear to God, thank you so much, no, uh, Michael and Katie you, and Colson. Thank you. Thank you. Before you run, James, I just want to do a little like goodbye proper for you. Um, which is that, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today, James. We so enjoyed having you here on this episode. And what we'd like before you leave is if you could let our listeners know what's what's coming up with you and where can they find you and where can they see you and hear you? Uh, they can see me uh, at the Richard Rogers Theater um, in the this little tiny musical that's trying its best to make it called Hamilton. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> you know, you can see me there. Uh, you can see me on the Disney Channel, I believe, starting again in uh, May, I think, with season two 
of Tangled the Animated Series. I may be wrong on that. Uh, I play Lance Strongbow, and trust me, if you saw season one, you ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, God. Nice. Oh, God, I die. We, 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 we go on a whole adventure that is going to just touch all the feelings. It's, it's <gasps> wonderful. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. And uh, you, you probably still see me on the commercial of Aladdin if it comes on. I still do the voices for that. And uh, I'm working on a couple of projects I can't talk about just yet, but hopefully um, they'll be they'll be good. And if I can ever be on the show again, I definitely will. I'm a huge Harry oh Potter fan. Oh my god, fan. you have a you have an endless eternal ticket to come on whenever you have the time yes. and space. And and James, is there anywhere that our listeners can find you online to connect with you? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at James M Eigelhart, or you can find me on Instagram, which I'm on a lot, at JM Eigelhart. Oh, yes, uh, sorry, I just forgot. If you go on to Sesame Street, um, Sesame Street Instagram, in their link, they have a little thing there. I am the voice of cereal for Elmo's, Elmo's <laughs> food, food battle. He has, he's trying to figure out what to eat for breakfast, and the cereal versus oatmeal, and I am the voice of cereal, and oh you can check that out. It's on my Instagram, it's on my Twitter. And you can check that out. We ju- we, it just came out literally yesterday. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I would book yeah. cereal any day of the week. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you again so much, James. It's been a joy having you. And we look forward to having you It was you incredible again. to meet you. You too as well. Please. So much fun. Thank you, you take guys. Take care. Thank you. So uh, let's go into Daniel Radcliffe's portrayal of Harry. Daniel and... is the best. <laughs> Sorry. Daniel's not there. my Harry. <laughs> Oh, oh. No. oh, I'm so, sorry. No, no. Well, okay. So first of all, okay, Katie, you start. Why is Daniel the best? And then Kulsum, you'll go into uh, the arguments against. Okay, debate time. No, I'm kidding. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. Um, so I was introduced to Harry Potter through the movies. So that mm. is probably a big part of this. And mm. I do believe he grew into the part so well later in the series that I just can't see anyone else in that role. Um, if I had read the books first and then seen the movies, I may have di- a different opinion. But and and also, I love the fact that he is still such a, just a good person in general, like in real life. Um, some child actors turn out crazy. They you know get into drugs, they get arrested, they do all this just crazy stuff, and they're not well-rounded individuals that can function the rest of their life. But so far, he is an amazing individual. Um, so. All of that together really makes me like him as a person and as um, as the role of Harry Potter. Can I preface? This isn't a. This isn't. I don't have any issues with Daniel. I have issues with the movies, and I, um, as I'm probably going to get to talk about later, I've imagined Harry as um, brown now. So I've sort of like recalibrated how I view him because when I mm. I was going off of the movies too when I first read it, and. Mm. I have so much respect for Daniel Radcliffe and how he how he carries himself and the fact that he still engages with Potter every time it comes up and he's such a good person but I don't see him as Harry anymore just just because of I I think it's probably my engagement with fandom has just completely shifted me off of that. I think the only person in the movies who is that character for me is Luna probably. Mm, she yeah, is pretty I, perfect. <laughs> I, I think most of the fandom sites that they feel that she, like Ivana Lynch, kind of like literally stepped out of the book. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, like, yeah, for me, 
Dan, and listeners, if you've been a long time listener, you know my feelings on Dan. Um, I adore him. And, but that said, I think Dan, to me, as movie Harry is a separate thing for me from book Harry. Um, the movies are very distinctly separate to me from the books. The only thing that kind of blends in is occasional visuals like set pieces. Like I see, I think Hogwarts for me became so iconic in its silhouette, hmm. but that's genuinely kind of generally what I see when mm-hmm. I see Hogwarts. Um, but the actors didn't really bleed through that way. And I did have the benefit of reading the books before I saw the movies. And um, yeah, Dan, though, I think the the closest, and this is yet another reason I love these two movies I think the closest he comes to Harry for me is half Prisoner blood. and Half-Blood. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's really, like, a lot of people, it's so funny because half or Prisoner gets a lot of hatred from I love people in Prisoner. the fandom. Me and too. And the funny thing is, Prisoner is simultaneously the one everybody likes and the one everybody hates. And people mostly <laughs> hate it because of the Marauders stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not even addressing that, I think there's such a noticeable difference from the get-go, and this we kind of talked about a little bit, that first scene with the Dursleys, Dan is dynamite in that scene. Mm -hmm. And the script gives him something to do, and he runs with it, and he's so good with it. And that is where he comes closest to book Harry for me. He's sarcastic, he's witty, um, he looks like Harry, finally. Like, to me, he looks like Harry in that that movie. Um, That one movie. (laughs) Though they finally got his messy hair right. Right. Um, so, and and in movie six, he gets to play with that more because, and again, this pincers. is something that a lot of people have. But yes, the pincers. <laughs> but a lot of people have problems in movie six because it is so comedic, because it stresses more of the the relationships over the Voldemort stuff. Again, not really a problem for me because by doing that, it allows the main characters to have more screen time and more things to do. And Dan, again, to me, knocks it out of the park with what he's given in mm-hmm. that movie. Um, I think in a lot of ways, a lot of the failings in the other films aren't on him. It's on the writing. Yeah. I think one and two, a little bit, yes, are on him because he's young and he wasn't the best actor in one and two. Um, but like, I, imme- I immediately noticed a change in three. And I think it carries through... Uh, a lot of the rest of the series. Part one is actually Deathly Hell is part one. I think he's also excellent in too. Um, Goblet, I think, is just a mess of a movie. Like I don't, yeah. <laughs> I, I, like it. Goblet doesn't know what to prioritize, and so the actors don't know what to prioritize. Um, it has it has a tone problem. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that while Dan may not definitively be my book Harry, he is definitively my movie Harry, and I'm very happy with him as movie Harry. Um, See, I'm. I, this is why I didn't want to debate because I'm not annoyed at his portrayal. It's just not book Harry. No, no, yeah. I think, oh, and yeah. that's. I think, and I think that comes with like the experience of how you internalize the books and the movies. Like, I think all three of us have different experiences with that because Gulsum, you started reading as uh, like some of the movies were already done. All the books were out. Every time you guys mentioned marriage, I was just like, I'm a child. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And- and Katie, you you uh, saw the movies first, then mm-hmm. read the books. I um, was part of the like actual Potter generation where I, where I was reading and watching the movies, and but doing it in the order that they were released. So I do think that does affect 
how you take the performances from the movies and wrap them around your personal in like kind of enjoyment of Harry Potter and of the actors who participate. Do you want to know something really weird? When my uh, cousin was young, he looked to my family. He looked almost identical to um, to, uh, to Daniel Radcliffe, but uh, uh-huh. he's brown. Um, so that that was weird. That was <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that colored. Awesome. That was that was how I. That's actually the connection I had to Potter before I read the books was that my cousin looks like Daniel. Um, that that was well, yeah. I think the thing that we talked about with the Harry being an avatar, it's not so much that as it is Harry has really relatable qualities that any reader can pick up. Mm-hmm. Both, It's funny because it's both physical and personality-wise. Harry has a lot of physical personalities that I think a lot of readers identify with. He wears glasses. He's like you, And you can pick any one. He has distinctive eyes. He has distinctive hair. He has um, a distinctive gait, knobbly knees. Um, he's skinny. He's a bit more twerpy. Um, he's, he's an unusual hero. Yeah. He's a more relatable hero in how he looks and in how he acts. Um, so I think that also affects how you take different portrayals of Harry too. Yeah. And how you internalize them. Um, because I, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. And this gets kind of into the discussion about the fandom um, and maybe I'll actually read this tweet now. We'll, 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 we'll talk a little bit about Jamie Parker. We can't, none of us can really say much about him because we haven't seen him. Two of us are going to see Parker play Harry soon. Um, but, uh, uh, we, we'll touch a little bit on Cursed Child at the end here, but I did want to talk since we've kind of got into this about the fandom, um, and their, and their perceptions of Harry. First of all, we had a Twitter comment from uh, Jennifer Rapp, one of our longtime listeners, at Jen R. Rapp, who said two things, um, and we've talked about one of them, which is the defensive capsule carry, so we won't get too into that. But the other thing is why he hardly isn't anyone's favorite character, even though he's Harry Potter. And Jennifer said, he's in my own top five, but not outright favorite. And we've we've showered nothing but really compliments on Harry and love upon him. Why isn't he people's favorite? I don't know, because he is mine. <laughs> What's wrong is with he? the rest of you? <laughs> Just kidding. Why yeah, is, I, I never really why thought about it favorite? too hard, because there are so many lovable characters in Harry Potter. Um, mm. It's really hard to pick just one. But when, I w- when we were doing research for this episode, when we were going back and looking at all of his wonderful attributes that he's had, just innate attributes since birth, basically, um, that make him such a positive person, a positive role model, etc. I really fell in love with him all over again. And I know he's not perfect, um, but his capacity to love and be so empathetic and care about others just trumps all of his flaws, in my opinion. Um, and I know Jennifer said that she would defend Caps Lock Harry forever. And I'm like, yes, I would too. I'm totally with you. And re-listen to episode 223 if you want to know why. Because <laughs> I went full out. I am totally with Harry here. And I always will be. Well, and I think we've established pretty well in this episode, in this discussion, that Caps Lock Harry is easily defendable. Yes. Um, and with Caps Lock Harry, I think, again, it goes, it does go back really 
we have pot we have Potter Puppet Pals to blame for this, I think, in a lot of ways. I think it did influence a lot of how people internalize that characterization of Harry. Yeah. Um and it's and like you said, Katie. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Harry isn't perfect, and I think that's what makes him more appealing. Yeah. I don't like my heroes to be perfect. I don't like them to do everything right. Harry is more intriguing, relatable, lovable because he does things wrong mm-hmm. sometimes. And it makes not only him more interesting, but it makes his journey more interesting because he has things that he needs to learn. Um, there's not much of a story if Harry just does everything right from the get-go. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when when that comes to things, I think specifically with Caps Lock Harry, yeah, he does go a little too far when he takes it out on people like Ron and Hermione. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, we've all and, done that in our lives at some point. all done that. Everybody, all these readers out here being like, oh, I wouldn't do that. Like, no, yeah, don't right. be so high and mighty, please. <laughs> we have all had arguments with individuals in our lives that we regret or things we've said that we regret. And... I think it's yeah. I think it's a little snooty to us to to expect that of Harry, who mm. is fifteen and is going through as much trauma as we talked about. I mentioned before we started recording that Lily's my favorite character, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we know nothing about her at all. Very <laughs> um, much. So all of my um, it's all through exploring her. She's there's nothing to mm. go on. So you explore with Harry. We know. I I find myself sort of I sort of berate myself sometimes that I don't think about the trio more like the the main characters of the books but mm. we know everything about them and when you when you want to write or when you want to create content for them it's really difficult to get their voices because they're so clear and in the books yeah. um mm-hmm. that you're worried about messing them up so when you when fans tend to like go and extrapolate they pick people who we know some things about and but we don't see them all the time and we don't know everything that's in their head. So I think that that's maybe why people don't focus on Harry because we we read seven books from his perspective. What like what else there is there to say about him kind of thing, you know? No, I think that's exactly right and in many ways I think that's what the fr- where the frustration comes from something like Cursed Child. Yes. Because we feel a lot of a lot of people who experienced Cursed Child whether by play or book felt that and there are, of course, obviously, people who enjoyed it. But there were people who felt, oh, this doesn't feel right. because, And especially, I think that was cited a lot more with the main trio than it was with the new characters. Because, yeah. like you said, because we knew them already. And to see them do anything that we felt betrayed what we knew was very... Weird. Uh uh, yes, and offensive to the fandom, yeah. almost, in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a perfect way to put it, because Harry Potter also experienced in its early heyday this mega explosion of fan-created content. And it was helped by Rowling, who endorsed it and didn't stop it. 
And the and again, as we mentioned before, the rise of the internet occurred around the same time. People were suddenly able to share things, um, you know, with the snap of a finger hmm. that quickly. And suddenly everybody was putting out their Harry Potter fan fiction. And having uh, been a part of MuggleNet fan fiction during that time, the mega boom came from the Marauders era. Yep, that's where I was to. dragged in yeah. because I wanted to find um, a a uh, fanfic. That's, I actually really clearly remember this. I wanted to find a fanfic where Harry wasn't raised by the Dursleys. Um, and mm. and I came across one where uh, he was sort of kidnapped by Sirius when he was eight from the Dursleys and then from then on raised by Sirius and Ramus. And mm. that launched me into sort of what-ifs about Sirius and about Ramus. And the focus, which should have been on Harry, didn't really go to Harry. Mm-hmm. And then you end up extrapolating. Things. What if What if James and Lily had survived? What would they have been like? Yeah, there's there's so much of that room for what if with all those other characters. And I think, I mean, in answer to this question about why the fandom doesn't feel that way for me personally, because Harry is also in my top five. Um, I really, really like Harry as a character. But Lupin is my top, in, in my, the top of my list, probably because he does have that air of certain things about him that aren't known mm-hmm. and you can fill in. Um and which I simultaneously I enjoy and find frustrating because I don't think he's in the book enough. But, True. um, but no, I, I really like Harry. He's, he's definitely in my, in my top characters. I think he's probably third because Hermione is my second favorite. Um, do you think yeah. people believe it's just not cool for Harry to be your favorite character? Like they're like, Oh, if I say that, people are just going to think I'm lame, so I have to come up with Luna or Tonks (laughs) or somebody cooler. I think it's it's not cool in the same way that it's not cool to be in Gryffindor. Yeah, I get that feeling. It's it's a typical answer, and I think you have to explain yourself more when... Mm -hmm. I do have sort of the instinct to roll my eyes when people say I'm a Gryffindor. I'm just like, is that just just because, you know, they're, they're the only characters in the books you see? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The only people you take a, can take a model from. Yeah, no. But I, the, the funny thing is, at this point, none of us have really heard people say that Harry's their favorite character. That it would be kind of genuinely like, oh wow, really? <laughs> like, it would be a good thing. And yeah, no. I I think I, I it, it it's it is weird that he's not a favorite. But I I I think that's I think all of those factors play a play a part in it. I think there is too, for maybe more casual fans, there is that perception, that more simple, simplified perception of Harry that comes from book five, that people don't like him because of his behavior in that book. No, that's not the reason at all for me. Cause I love him in that book. Yeah, no. And I think, and I, again, like I, as you, I think as you mature from that viewpoint, or if you are more because we have a fandom now that I think is very multi-layered compared to what it was when the books first came out mm-hmm. because this is no longer a fandom of just people who read the books as they came out and watched the movies after this is a fandom that also mixes in people who have uh, seen the movies first read the books later seen read all the books you know in a week or in some cases have only seen the movies but consider themselves fans and that's totally cool that and that happens, but that is going to affect... How you see everyone. Your discussion. Yeah, that's going to affect your discussion of Harry Potter 
if you're talking with people who have read the books. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you've mentioned it a bit here, Kulsum, and I really would love for you to get into this a little bit about Me how too. Harry, different portrayals, different looks for Harry for different readers, because um, I'm so down with this. So. <laughs> For obvious reasons. Okay, so, so. But the, if you haven't guessed from my name, I am very, very much not white. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> I have, it, it, it's been in the last three, three years, and I've been with this series for nine. So um, it's, it's, I've, I've had him as white in my head for longer than brown, but I've been mm-hmm. making a conscious effort when I reread to like think of him that way. Um, that is so cool. I have been my last read through. I made a conscious effort to make Hermione black. Yeah, so same. I'm yes, so down with this. Oh my god, keep going. Okay, <laughs> so I have I have no um, annoyances with people, you know, making him white or making him East Asian. I've seen that as well, um, or making him black as well. I've, that's that's another incredible interpretation because you can't make Afro hair lie flat. Um, but <laughs> I personally see him as uh, from India or Pakistan or somewhere over there, um, at least James, because, and I have the list. Did I just read the list? So, yeah, <laughs> um, talk a little bit about what, okay. yeah, why. So the first couple of things is that um, his obvious speeches, the thing that people pick up on, you've got your mother's eyes and green eyes aren't, I, I don't think green eyes would be that striking unless it's in an unusual place. Whenever you see light eyes in a dark face, it is striking. It is. Um, yeah. So I think that's one point. The fact that his hair, jet black, unruly hair, um, and his grandfather, Fleamont, invents sleek easies to deal with that kind of hair. I think that's very much... Um, indicative of him being a person of colour because our hair tends to be the kind that doesn't behave the way that European standards would like it to. Mm. Um, at least mine doesn't. <laughs> uh, there's also... That's the sort of, like, um, superficial stuff. Then you've got things like him... The way the Dursleys treat him. Um, and it's a bit heavier. This comes into like sort of racism territory. Um, he's kept out of sight by the Dursleys. And I, I wouldn't think that they would be so ashamed of having him around because Petunia's skinny, Petunia's white. You'd think that they would just assume that he looked, he looked, you know, like a part of the family, right? But mm-hmm. if he was very obviously differently colored, then they they would not want people to ask questions about that. They wouldn't want Harry to be in front of the Masons or in, in the way at all, because then people ask, oh, why is this, why did you take this person in? Why does he mm. look so different from you guys? Mm-hmm. Um, then he goes to, what was it, St. Brutus's Secure Centre for Delinquents, something like that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the fact that uh, people were so willing to accept accept that that. this entire neighborhood has only ever seen harry as a very quiet kid he's lived there for 10 years and then people don't question the fact that he's suddenly apparently a criminal Hmm. um and we see that um it's brought up in book three and then in book five he makes mention of it because he's been wandering around the neighborhood quite a lot um and i think that him being brown sort of adds a layer to that 
that wouldn't be if he was white. Um, yeah. The last one, which makes me angry every time I read it in the third book, um, Aunt Marge and how she <laughs> talks about James. Why does she hate James? What have the Dursleys told her that James is that could possibly make her think he was um, his type being unemployed and degenerate, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's, I feel like there's an assumption she makes about the, she, when she talks about breeding and dogs and stuff, I think mm. that ties in to the fact that Harry isn't pure in the way that um, maybe they, she would have preferred Lily to marry a white guy um, because she doesn't know anything about magic. She doesn't know the reason why the Dursleys hate Harry. So there has to be something else that she assumes that makes her treat Harry that way. So all of this is an excellent example, and I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a tiny bit here, of why so much, I think a lot of the, of a certain particular loud, but hopefully not majority sect of the Harry Potter community has pushed back against this kind of interpretation of Harry Potter because they are obsessed with canon to the point that they have become racist hmm. and i'm not afraid to say yes if you if you argue that hermione has to be white you're racist <laughs> like yep. that and it's not and, if you see them as white it's just if you say adamantly they cannot be anything else yes right. absolutely yes if you're yeah you are you are free to see in your own head or how you picture it yeah absolutely they can be whatever you want them to be but if you force that interpretation on other individuals i think what that does is not only uh, is it inappropriate just on a morality level, but this, what I think Rowling was so good about and what she talked about when the casting of Noma occurred with Cursed Child is that there is an element, I think, in the writing that you're supposed to see there are metaphors and parallels for prejudice and racism within Harry Potter Mm -hmm. that aren't explicitly just race. That said... Those metaphors and parallels are so well written and layered throughout so many things in the book. And I love that you really pulled out the layering actually in the Dursley sections, more so in the magical sections, um, because the Dursley sections, I think, are discounted a lot with that. Or I could go on power. for a long time. I just tried to keep it short and sweet. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, no. But I think these examples are great because they show that you can totally take this to another layer, another level, another interpretation in the reading. And that is why some of us out here who are people of color or have experienced this or relate to that or understand, have a good understanding of that, can so easily picture these characters as people of color. And it's not instinctive. It's not something that you think of immediately. It, it, no. There's a reason why it took me until a couple of years ago to think about it. And it's it's wonderful, the outpouring of um, art, especially, that has taken that into account. And I, it inspired me to, to make my own as well. Oh, yeah. I think, I think that's another thing to credit the rise of the internet with alongside Potter, is that suddenly there was this movement of, oh, hey, because this happened before cursed child Mm -hmm. these interpretations were happening before that Mm -hmm. and people were saying hey i see hermione is black or hey i see harry is east indian or this or that and that's so exciting that that got shared 
to the point that by the time that did happen with Cursed Child, there was a huge section of the fandom that was like, oh, yeah, finally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, it, it was, I think that was really exciting for a lot of us. And I think what's important to note, too, with that, that we've talked about before in the case of Hermione, is that it doesn't affect who they, they are. are. If you want, if they want, if you want to add it in to do, to do this contextual stuff, like Kulsum just did, you, I, in a way, that makes the characterization richer. It's almost like when Rowling said that Dumbledore was gay. Mm. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm where you're adding in more context to add another layer to this character that may not be immediately visible on the page. Yeah, you're not taking anything away. You're only adding more. Yeah. Which, you know, again, for those of you who are out there going and looking up every page where Harry or Hermione are described as pale, first of all, gross, don't do that. And (laughs) second of all, yes, people of color can become quote-unquote Pale. Somewhere lost on the internet is a page long rant I have where somebody had said (laughs) that because they're in England, they can't be people of color. And I was like, does that mean I don't exist? (laughs) (laughs) I live in Surrey. I live in the exact area he's meant to be from. (laughs) Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know you lived in Surrey. Well, Surrey's a big place. I'm not like, you know, but it's, an incredibly diverse place where I live. That's really it's, cool. It's um, kind of ridiculous. The The class I was in in high school for five years had no white people in it at wow. all. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. So <laughs> the, I was just... Get the smelling salts. Crazy. <laughs> I was sort of astounded by the idea that if you're from England, you have to be white. That that mm. that did not sit well with me. Of course not. Yeah. Well, and I think, like you said, Kulsum, for a lot of readers, because of the things we'd gotten before, you know, and in, in, in that era and long before, there is an assumption of whiteness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's through a lot of media we've had on ver- books, movies, television, and which, as we mentioned earlier in this episode, is why we celebrate things like... Oh my God, Black Panther, which I would <laughs> love to make this into a Black Panther podcast, but we won't. But, um, <laughs> what you know, where, where there's more, more beautiful, diverse media coming out made by the people who are from that background, who have that personal experience. Yeah. And Rowling, while she may be a white British woman, and we have cited issues that we have had with that, um, she has in some ways, been polite enough to open the door. One of the things that I do give her credit for is that when it does come come to things like imagining characters like Harry as a different race, she doesn't care, mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. is more than happy to endorse it. Um, and I think that's a really important important part of the Potter fandom. I also have to point out because I think I don't know if you've seen it, Colsum. I think I mentioned it on the show. There is artwork that somebody did on Tumblr out there, and it's a it's of Harry. If he was East Indian, and it looks exactly like me. You mentioned this on a uh, one that it, I listened it, to last week, but I don't know which one you're talking about. <laughs> I'll have to. I have it on my in my Facebook timeline. I'll have to find it for you and link you, save the picture and show it to you because it is freaky. Because it looks exactly like me, and that artist had never seen me before. Um, <laughs> I want to see they it did too. Not know I, I will. I will show you guys later, awesome. or maybe. Maybe we'll put a link to it in the show notes so everybody can see it because it is freaky. <laughs> and I have, 
I have had the joy of cosplaying Harry multiple times. I love cosplaying Harry. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, I think that's something that with all of these characters that everybody should feel free to do. On a superficial level, what do you guys think of the idea of his scar not being a zigzag, but being like actual lightning? Oh yeah. Like when people draw it, like is an actual bolt, like a strike of lightning, right? Yeah. The only other one I've seen, it looked more like a cracked eggshell than lightning to me. But I'm mm. sure there are other interpretations out there that I just have not seen I yet. Can, that I, I can compile cool. a list. Okay, I'll that, guys. <laughs> that piece of artwork that looks like me, the the artist did draw the lightning like a like an actual lightning strike, and it doesn't really work for me because I think it it's meant to be more simplistic mm-hmm. based on how Rowling describes it. I just think it's a um, nice interpretation, but I have I, no like strong feeling either way. No. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a cool idea, but I don't subscribe to it necessarily in my reading of Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. But of course, for the longest time I, I did move it because it's been so aggressively put upon me to move it. But when I first read the book, the scar was directly in the center of his head. Ah. Um, hmm. Yep, I put it right in the center, and then, like, right in the center of his forehead. And then the movies came along, and, it was and like, Rowling was, like... Off to the left somewhere. Yeah, way off. And I was Gosh, like, oh, it. okay, fine, if you say so. So now I Although definitely... I do think that if he was pointing his wand right between the eyes, that would have been... It would be, like, almost unnaturally centered. Um, mm-hmm. And that's sort mm-hmm. of an interesting idea, too, because faces aren't... General, you kind of want things to be off center so they look more like artistic, but mm. that'd be a, it's cool that it's in the center, like in the canon. Yeah, like it would be like it would be cool in that it it does it strikes you as even more unusual. Yeah. I think to have it right in in the center of his of his forehead. But and he always wishes that he could hide it, and if it's in the on the side, his bangs could hide it. But his if it's bangs in the center, it, yeah. you can't. So, yeah. yeah, I think canon Just a little superficial maybe. thing to note. Yeah. And before we go kind of wrap up with a few quotes about Harry um, or from Harry, I did want to just touch a little quickly. And again, Kulsum, since you have kind of stayed away from it, we won't go too deep into it. But Harry in Cursed Child. And I think we've heard, we've mostly said our opinions on this. I'm sorry for... <laughs> No, 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 it's okay. You you have every right, as many fans do, to not expose yourself to Cursed Child. Yes, you do. Um, and, and, like, everybody has taken it, just like with the main books, everybody's taking a different approach. Many of us have read it first. Many of us have read it and are not planning to see it. Many of us have seen it and are planning not to read it. I have this really distinct memory of, like, in 2014, I think it was Noah saying, oh, I don't, I only stick to the canon canon and I don't believe what she's going, doing on Pottermore is right. And I was like, what are you talking about? Everything that she does is brilliant. And now I've just... <laughs> <laughs> and now. And That's now. all you got to say. And now. <laughs> and I think that, well, and that to me gets to the root of my issues with it is that yes, Rowling was involved. She has been intentionally, in my view, ambiguous of how involved she is Mm -hmm. because she will change her tune on that from interview to interview. Mm -hmm. She just did an interview with the New York Times and almost every other question she changed the sense of how involved she is with the show. Yeah. One moment she'll say that she was there writing it with them. The next moment she'll say that then I got the script and it was great. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, so you weren't involved in this. And... 
going by credits, yes, she is credited as a contributor, but she's not credited as the main writer. And that is kind of where my main issues stem from. But I also cannot get over the fact that Harry, everybody, but Harry, I think, is victimized the most in this, is changed in the opening scene. Yes. Because the dialogue is expressively changed to bias him to not wanting Albus to be in Slytherin. <laughs> and I hate, hate, hate it because it, it changed it. The context of the, of the epilogue is changed solely to leap into the specific story that Cursed Child tells. Um, I think that's where my main issue comes from. Is it true that he, about? um, yells at McGonagall about keeping? Mm-hmm. Yes. He See, does. <laughs> Harry. You don't have children. You don't understand. I would slap him across the face so hard if he said that to me. I'm just saying. <sighs> I hope. I hope and that Michael and I feel better about it once we've seen it. <laughs> but right now, we're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting because Katie's going to see it. Katie, you're going in April, right? Yeah. We're, we're not. We're doing this a disservice because neither. <laughs> yeah, none, none of, of us have seen, seen it. it. <laughs> None of us have seen it. I know, and Al- I know, I can hear Allison already screaming at us right. um, from the other side. Um, but, and I'm, I'm, I'm very much actually looking forward to seeing Jamie Parker's portrayal of Harry because when I look at him, he looks like what I could think Harry would look like when he grows up. I like his look. For he looks Harry. like White Harry. Yeah. Yeah, he looks like White Harry, and I cosplayed <laughs> that. I've cosplayed his Harry um, because I like the. I, I just like the way he holds himself as Harry, and I like his costuming for Harry. Mm-hmm. From what I've seen of the play, I think that if I went to see it, the costume and the the design and the way that they've done all the special effects, I bet I would love it. But I've so hung up on the plot that I just don't want to touch it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I go Same. on record now as I will love the production, but I will probably still not like the story. Yeah. That's what I'm anticipating. And... Harry actually, in a lot of ways, doesn't suffer... There's quite a few moments where he actually does not suffer too much character damage in Cursed Child to me. Um, for uh, for everybody siding with a lot of the actions that Albus and Scorpius take, Albus and Scorpius are stupid and bad, bad, bad children. <laughs> and I do not mind that Harry admonishes them as much as he does. He goes a little far, I think, with some things. But overall, he's actually being a pretty great dad. Yeah. And I don't understand the arg. I don't understand the argument that Harry wouldn't be a good father because he had he didn't have a father because he did have fathers. He had multiple father figures in his life. And some people without a father make the best fathers because yeah. they know what they lacked as a child and they do not want their child to lack that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's not an argument. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> <laughs> I see Harry as being the most dad dad ever just because he didn't (laughs) i feel like um Ginny's probably the career woman um and Mm -hmm. harry would be so down with just being the family man being yeah you know getting getting to hang out with his kids getting to engage with them the fact that i've heard he's sort of disconnected from alvis does seem sort of disingenuous um compared Mm -hmm. to how he talks to him in the epilogue because he seems so yes. in tune with his son's fears there. Yes, the, there's such that that's Harry's empathy exactly. that I think 
we don't see a lot of in the play, but he in the epilogue, he is so affectionate towards his children, all three of them. Mm-hmm. I reckon he, he probably takes pointers from how Arthur treats his kids. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. Yeah, again, he has great examples of father figures in his life that I think he would take from. Um, yeah, so I, I'll, I'm, I'm again very curious to see how this will play out when I once I see it. I also think it's a little just like it's kind of a cheap shot to make Hermione the Minister of Magic. I also <laughs> think it is a weird and cheap shot to just transfer Harry to the head of He's magical the law. DA professor. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Rowling did say that in an interview post post uh, Deathly Hallows that Harry does occasionally go to. Hogwarts and he does uh, talks for the Defense Against the Dark Arts classes. I wrote yes. one shot um, where Harry is the aura and he's he's the aura right up until um, Lily is born. And then Ginny's like, hey, I, I know I quit. I know I quit being holy head, uh, in the Holyhead Harpies, but I kind of want to go back to work now. So could you quit your job for me, please? <laughs> <laughs> and then once the kids are like, Grown up a bit, he goes to teach at Hogwarts. That's my yeah, personal yeah. canon. <laughs> no, I, I love that idea that Harry is, is more like the home maker, um, and that that makes sense to me. Yeah, I could get down with that. So, and they they touch on that a little in Cursed Child. They play with that a little bit, um, but yeah, we'll see. Katie and I will get back to you, listeners. Yes, we will. You'll get back to them a lot. You'll get back to them a lot sooner. <laughs> Maybe I'll just like write all my opinions down, and then you and I can do like a special, just for patrons or something, a little breakdown of what we think now. <laughs> that sounds like fun. But before we wrap up this episode, we did have a request, um, funnily, from uh, We See You, fellow Potter podcasts out there. Hello to Potterless Podcasts, or at Potterless Pod, um, who actually tweeted us um, that they'd, they'd like us to uh, go over Harry's best comebacks against Malfoy throughout the years. Um, <laughs> oh, that's where actually... that came from. Okay, now yes. that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is from a, a, a fellow podcast. It's a it's a a guy who I guess didn't read Harry Potter um, in its prime, and he's reading it now, like in his twenties or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, check it out, guys. Our we have other fellow podcasts out there. And hey, Potterless Podcast, if you ever want to come on along more, come join us. Um, but uh, we did have a few quotes that Katie was so kind enough to pull. Can we take turns reading them? Oh, that sounds like fun. Sure. Both of you will do amazing British accents and mine will be horrible. <laughs> but <okay. laughs> well, Do you want me to let's... talk like this so that it's a bit more fair? <laughs> <laughs> You're adorable. <laughs> That's great. Well, let's do um, Katie, Kulsum, and then me. Okay. And these are not all comebacks against Malfoy, but there are some of them. So we'll make you happy. Uh, yes. The, I think these are some excellent quotes that encompass a lot about who Harry is as a person that we've talked about throughout this episode. Yes. Okay, first one, he's speaking to Neville. says, oh, I'm not even going to do a British accent because I know I'll mess it up. (laughs) I'm just going to talk. Okay, to Neville. You're worth 12 of Malfoy. The Sorting Hat chose you for Gryffindor, didn't it? And where's Malfoy in Stinking Slytherin? To Dudley. The poor toilet's never had anything as horrible as your head down it. It might be sick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to Dobby. And 
I thought I had a bad staying here for another four weeks, he said. This makes the Dursleys sound almost human. Can't anyone help you? Can't I? Aww. <laughs> That's why I had to include that one. <laughs> so, to Hermione. Proud, said Harry. Are you crazy? All those times I could have died and didn't manage it? They'll be furious. <laughs> <laughs> to Hermione. I don't go looking for trouble. Trouble usually finds me. <laughs> That's another one of my favorites. Yes. I like that one. Oh, I love this next one. Okay. This is this is one of those Malfoy comebacks you were looking for part of this <laughs> podcast. Pity you can't attach an extra arm to yours, Malfoy, said Harry. Then I could catch the snitch for you. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> oh! Um. <laughs> uh, to Rita Skeeter, yeah, you can have a word. Goodbye. Sass! To Fred and George, we could all do with a few laughs. I've got a feeling we're going to need them more than usual before long. (laughs) To Umbridge. Oh yeah, Quirrell was a great teacher. There was just that minor drawback of him having Lord Voldemort sticking out of the back of his head. (laughs) (laughs) That will always be a favourite. To Dudley. This is night, Diddykins. That's what we call it when it goes all dark like this. <laughs> <laughs> Vernon says, listening to the news again. Well, it changes every day, you see, says Harry. <laughs> and, oh, oh, just by the look of the draw, to Snape. There's no need to call me Sir Professor. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yes! <laughs> yes, Harry! <laughs> it's great. Those are great quotes. And I I think, you know, that's... We've we talked so much about Harry's strengths and, 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 you know, a weakness I think that's worth touching on on this show or on this episode. And we've talked about before with Harry. Is that for all his empathy and sensitivity, Harry, I think his biggest challenge is... <laughs> And we this could have, this could be a whole other episode connecting with the female species, oh. <laughs> and Harry often doesn't vocalize. I think this is the thing that a lot of people in the fandom say about as as a failing of Harry's is that he tends to not vocalize when he's empathizing with people like Hermione or Cho Chang or Ginny. But that's and none of these quotes express that. Like he's still he he's he's more of a sass master. He does express that he does not want to be in this role that he has been thrust into. And when it comes to relating to girls, he gets a little hung up. But I think it's important to note that Harry still is like, that's like, that's, that's a failing, but it still makes him relatable. He's still a great character despite that. Um, I think like one thing I wanted to touch upon that we missed a little bit in this episode is that is Harry's relationship with Hermione. Because there are a lot of quotes about mm-hmm. what he says to Hermione. Mm-hmm. And even though Harry doesn't always hold up Hermione as much as I think he should, he fails her a lot, especially in Prisoner of Azkaban and Deathly Hallows. I think there are those gold moments where Harry does say to Hermione, like, you are amazing, you're very talented, I would be dead without you. Like, he has expressed that. There are these moments of, like, even with Ron as well, these like clarity where they're like I have so much respect for you and I have so much love for you but they don't come very often these moments 
Like yeah. like um when Hermione leaves right um before Harry goes off to meet Quirrell. Like that's one of those yeah, moments. Yeah, yeah. That's one of those moments. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, like despite that being one of his failings, Harry is um I think we've broken down excellently why Harry is a really, really great character. Um and why he should be more people's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes he should. Harry Potter number one fan club. Right here. Katie's going to work with Colin Creevy to start the Harry Potter fan club. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! See, that's why I love Colin so much. <laughs> Colin sees what we should all see. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been an absolutely amazing discussion on Harry. We could have gone even to more different places. I'm sure we could come back to him again in future. Hopefully we will. Yes. Um, but for now, um, we want to make sure and thank Kulsum, Kulsum, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thank you for letting me be on it. <laughs> you are amazing! Yeah, Kulsum, where can we find you online? I'm on Tumblr. Um, my art's on at Prongsy Draws, and my uh, amalgamation of everything is Prongsy Ignoramus. <laughs> I like awesome. that. Awesome. That's excellent. Cool. Well, make sure and go check out Kulsum's artistic contributions to the Harry Potter fandom. Listeners, as as you probably noticed, Kulsum is from uh, across the pond from us, which is a wonderful new thing about our new recording times that we are trying to do with our recording schedule. We are trying to enable it so that more international listeners can join us on the show. Um, so we gave, we managed to get Kulsum on on a reasonable time for everyone. Yay! <laughs> Yay not in the middle of the night for her. <laughs> yes! Just at the beginning of the night. Although... Uh, she did go on record as saying she would have gotten up at 4 a.m. for yep. it. <laughs> <laughs> and we love you for it. <laughs> yes, but thank you so much, Kulsum. You did a great job contributing points and adding to this discussion. Thank so thank you so much for joining us. And, of course, another thank you and shout-out to James Monroe Eigelhart, who did have to leave us a little earlier in the discussion. But what a joy. I'm sure he is a new he is destined to be a new listener favorite, I think. Oh yes. Um, after this episode. And as he asked and as we happily invited, James, come back anytime. Uh, <laughs> thank you again for joining us too, James. And um listeners our next topic, our next uh, episode is actually a chapter episode. We will be discussing, and we've discussed this book so much, and we know you love it so much. We love it so much that we were like, we're going to go back to Half-Blood Prince because nobody picks Half-Blood Prince. <laughs> so we're going to go back to Half-Blood Prince. We are discussing chapter 22 after the burial. <laughs> and if you would like to be on the show like Kulsum, all you've got to do is visit our website, alohomorapodcast.com, and choose Be On The Show. Follow the instructions there to send us your audition. And you can also visit the topic submit page to tell us what other topics you would like to hear us talk about. And if you want to be on that show to talk to us about that topic, let us know that as well. All you need is a microphone and a pair of headphones. And if you are chosen to guest host, we will walk you through the rest. And we did put, we've tried to put some more clear cut uh, instructions on that be on the show page listeners. So do make sure, I know it's tempting to skip it like an Apple license agreement, but you gotta <laughs> read it. Um, because it's gonna tell you all the things you need to know to audition to have a successful audition to give you a much better chance to be on the show. We've had so many more good ones lately. I just wanna shout yes. out, thank you to everyone who sent them in. We've been so it's, impressed. 
it's been getting harder to choose you guys for episodes because you're sending in fabulous auditions um and with that in mind if you hear an episode that you auditioned has already aired um audition for another one because we want to know what other topics you'd like to be on yes please Um, keep coming back yeah and if you want to if you want to just chat with us outside of the show there are a lot of ways to do that uh you can uh chat with us on twitter at alohomora mn and we all have our individual twitters that often get linked up to that twitter so if you want to chat with us individually there's ways to do that too Facebook.com slash open the Dumbledore. Our website, alohomorapodcast.com. Again, that is alohomorapodcast.com. If you have not changed that in your browser yet, please do. Our YouTube page where you can actually look at our archive of old videos we've got and new videos that we occasionally post up, youtube.com slash alohomoramn. Or you can just get in touch with us by email. That's a great way to get in touch with us. Alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. And one more reminder to please check out our Patreon. That's at patreon.com slash alohomora. And huge thanks again to Yale Roger Levy. I hope I said your name right <laughs> for sponsoring this episode. And you can sponsor us for as low as a dollar a month. And please be sure to check out our higher tiers for access to Dumbledore's office, episode sponsoring, decals, chapter readings with Michael, and vintage Alohomora t shirts. So thank you guys so much for listening. I'm Katie Carty Hiley. And I'm Michael Harley. Thank you for listening to episode 242 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore. get to the part where we're actually going to be talking about stuff again i just wanted to say that i would not eat desk pig but that's only because <laughs> that's only because i don't eat pork if it was desk oh, hey. chicken i might <laughs> she's been thinking about this she's been waiting to tell us this for a long I time i had this joke in my head and i forgot to tell you at the beginning and i had to <laughs> <laughs> it's fine we we overwhelmed you with being like, oh, by the way, you're on an episode with a Broadway star. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's on us. <laughs> Can I quickly ask what your role is in Hamilton? Oh, yes. I play uh, Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson. Because you said battle at hand, and I started <laughs> singing Hamilton in my head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're going to get all of James's plays in here somehow. <laughs> they, they, they somehow come back. They somehow come back. Wow. <laughs> that was amazing, you guys. <laughs> we just have to take a moment to internalize that. That was fun. Wow. His voice was like butter. <laughs> He's so nice. He was so nice. He's as nice as I expected him to be. I'm not at all surprised that he was just that fabulous.